0: Welcome to AfroAbility, a conversation about African business and technology. Today, we're going to talk about Wasoko, formerly known as Soko Watch. We'll explore the story across the following five areas. One, informal retail sector context. Two, Wasoko's early history. Three, its product and monetization strategy. Fourth, its competitive positioning and potential exit options. And then fifth, we'll end with our views on its overall outlook. This episode was recorded on June 11th, 2023. Soko Watch. I don't know which name to call it.
1: Wasoko. Wasoko. Wasoko, I just I, I had to change it on my notes. Because I feel like when we wrote this down, it was still called Soko Watch. Yes. When we planned <laughs> this episode, it had a different name.
0: <laughs> That's legit. That's oh. true. We had to do control, control, find, replace. So I'll be using both names interchangeably. But for the audience, the actual name is Wasoko. The artist formerly known as Soko Watch. But if you hear me mistakenly say Soko Watch, no, you know I'm talking about Wasoko. They rebranded in 2022, so not so long ago.
1: Yeah. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing fine. It's It's been a while since we've done like our regular two-week cadence. So it was tough, but I made it, I That's think. Good. Let's see how good that it was. Kinda, it
1: kind of hurt my feelings when I saw somebody say like, oh, affordability is now a monthly podcast. Like, no, it's not.
0: <laughs> Who said that um, on the internet or I verbally?
1: Saw, I saw it somewhere in, on the internet.
0: On yeah, the don't internet. don't believe everything was, you see on the internet.
1: I was hurt, I was hurt, I was hurt. I was like, I'm trying. <laughs> I'm good, man, it's summer in Seattle, man. So
0: it is a B2B e-commerce platform that provides on-demand inventory delivery to small mom and pop shops by connecting them to FMCG suppliers and manufacturers. Wow, a lot of words, but B2B yeah. e-commerce connector.
1: Full stack solution hmm. that provides retailers with inventory management, financing, and delivery services. Therefore. Similar
0: to Twigger Foods that we discussed on episode 64, but I think the big difference here is they're more focused on one part of the value chain, which is the SMB retailers aka mom and pop stores, aka informal sellers, but similar.
1: They also Yeah, they also do only dry goods and Trigger does yes. produce. So, yes. so Asoka doesn't do produce. Yes, yes, yes. Although man, if you ask Kenya, Kenyan and SMBs must be boiled out of control. Because look at this <laughs> the SMBs from the produced produce from one app, the, yeah. the the dry goods from another app, they're like just sitting in the store just selling man. Yeah I, uh, I
0: have I have so many stories to tell later as the podcast goes. I feel like SMBs They've, they have a lot of options. And if I were them, there are a lot of ways to play th- these guys against them. Anyway, so they've also raised a lot of money, according to Crunchbase, between 140 and $150 million since they were founded in 2015 slash 2016. And they experienced a lot of growth during COVID. And because the informal retail sector is so important, they seem to be an important player on the east side of Africa doing something important. So that's the story. That's what we're going to talk about today. What's so cool? So cool.
1: Yeah, they're also number one in Financial Times Africa's 50 fastest growing companies list of Wonderful. 2022. Wonderful! Congratulations, so,
0: as Bank says, have, congratulations
1: have, to all involved. Wonderful! To all involved. I mean, they're growing. They have crazy <laughs> top line revenue numbers, and hey, easy money if you can is. make it, right? Want wow. to say easy okay. money if you can make it?
0: Okay. Any anything else you want to say about the intro? What they're about? While we're, we're talking about them before, before we start?
1: No, I think the other thing reason we're talking about them is. Because they are going after the informal sector. We see a lot of companies that try to replace what people do with technology versus augment it. And this is in the other category. Yes. Like if you think of the payment companies, they're trying to replace cash. And where people pay you cash, they use a completely different method that has advantages. Yes. This is like, hey, don't do this part instead. Focus on your sales and let's take some back end operations for the SMBs away. So this is pretty much more augmenting than replacing. So it's pretty cool.
0: Yeah. So when we started, I had that technical definition of, B2B e-commerce platform that connects retailers to suppliers. I guess in regular English, the way to think about this is a lot of the retail sector in most African countries are informal. I think the stat is 70 to 90%, which means most people buy things from small stores around where they live. And those small stores can use something like Wasoko to make their lives better, to get cheaper goods, to get faster delivery. So it sort of makes sense considering how much of the ecosystem shops this way. Okay, PSAs. Founders, operators, investors, we'd love to link up with you. Part- partner to drive the ecosystem forward. Email us info. Listeners, you can join our Substack, offerability.substack.com. We post and, and shoot out some emails every once in a while. You can also email either of us. And with that, we can start. Okay. Biases.
1: Wasuku, Wasuku. wasuku. Yeah. I think it's positive. It's um, positive for you. I'm I'm a happy guy, man. I'm wow. a happy guy. I'm not a hater. Okay. I'm a happy guy. But I, but I will say, I will say this, it's mm-hmm. positive for the following reasons. It rankles me a little bit when I see investors or, or founders want to be like, people do things a certain way. They're clearly stupid. They should do things this way. Wow. Well, and this feels much more aligned with how customers want to buy. So I will contrast the B2B retailers with an e-commerce business and say, no, we should just replace this with e-commerce and everybody can download all the content down from the app but realizing that it's very difficult to change behavior and you got to change incrementally. So mm-hmm. just that problem statement makes me positive. They also have a lot of validation from fundraising from people who know this market product problem in many other similar Wait, emerging markets.
0: So, so Tiger Global does this market? <laughs> Yo, that's legit. Oh, no.
1: It's no, a Flipkart other, other co-founder, Udan okay. co-founder. Okay. So right. you're not yeah, talking about they, Tiger Global? They've, they've, I don't know what Tiger Global knows. That's about. If you want me to talk, talk about people that have money, I don't. I don't do that. Like, Tiger Global knows what they're doing. It's not. I'm not helping Tiger Global. Only I my universities. So good luck to everybody involved. Um, That's so funny. I don't know why you're trying to make me talk. I don't know. It's positive because of the problem area and because of the almost like the parts that I can't see mm-hmm. from the outside in. I can borrow conviction from Bini Bantal and the co-founder of Udan and nice. the co-founder of Flipkart. And I can borrow their conviction and say, you know, looks good to me. If it looks good too. Is
0: borrowing conviction ever a good idea, though? It sounds like it's almost Never. always a terrible idea.
1: In, but you must understand that the bar for talking about a company in <laughs> a podcast you know, is not the same bar for investing in a company, to be very clear. <laughs> you could um, borrow
0: conviction for a comedy podcast, but <laughs> if it, it
1: was for an yeah. investment
0: podcast, don't, you wouldn't don't t- borrow <laughs>
1: conviction. No, don't borrow conviction for your own money, for your children's school fees. Do not borrow conviction. That is the worst idea possible. I'm borrowing conviction for a bias, not even for an opinion. I'm borrowing conviction for my bias. I'm not borrowing conviction for my opinion. I'm borrowing conviction for my my bias. Somebody yeah. says, do you like Wasoko? Sure. Would you invest in Wasoko? Whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't know. <laughs> send, me, send me the
0: spreadsheets
1: first. That's not a question I've evaluated the answer to. I feel like yeah. that's getting very confusing. It's like, I, when I talk to people, like, oh, do you like this company? Yeah, would you invest in them? Like, that's a different question. Different question. <laughs> I feel like completely also, different are like six questions in between. That's like zero to a hundred. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like a different question. Like, oh, you were so positive about them, and you say you wouldn't invest. What does that do with anything? Those are different questions. Like, what are well. you... Like, Or you would invest in... You say you didn't like them, but you'd invest. Or you say you don't like them. Like, those are different... They're unrelated as, you know... The sky is to the amount of water in my water bottle. doesn't mean anything. Anyways, what are your biases?
0: Okay, so before I started the research, mostly on the fence, I had heard about them, but it's hard to decouple all these companies because they're all sort of doing the same thing. Omnibiz, Soko Watch. They're like six different companies all doing the same thing. So I sort of knew about the general company and the business model but it was mostly neutral. Now that I've done tons and tons of research, I can say I'm way more positive. I, I sort of just really like the founder. It just seems like a nice stand-up guy. I'm very intrigued by the fact that like, he dropped out of school. We'll talk about the story in a few minutes, but like, I, I like the founder, so I like what, what they're trying to do. So yeah, more positive, but... I still have some fundamental issues with it, but definitely positive. So take take everything I say with a grain of salt. I'll be more on the positive side. I, I like the founder. Seems like a good guy.
1: This is like a good like. Uh, it's gonna be a fun podcast. Just good vibes end okay. to end.
0: That's how it always starts, no. and then we start we start with the shit later. All right, I'm there's no
1: there's off. no we there's no we. It's I, all I, you, I I, I no that's we. fine
0: that's fine that's fine that's fine. Wow wow there's no we wow wow wow. I'm not even gonna comment. All right, so I'm gonna kick us off with the informal retail context and then danko will come back later. Oh, all right. So let's do this two ways. I'm going to start off by giving some broad overarching stats and then I'll give some more specific market stats. So first broad overarching starts. Stats. Okay, employment. This is for the informal retail sector, right? So apparently in sub-Saharan
1: Africa as a whole or SSA or Africa, Africa for now.
0: I have some SSA okay. stats, but I'll do the whole of Africa for now. It's estimated to employ between 60 and 100 million people, which is a lot. But then I thought, hmm, I know from our agriculture episode, agriculture is always huge. So if you take out agriculture, for the non-agriculture part, it's 58 to 69%. So a lot of people working in the informal retail sector. Another interesting stat is 70 to 90% of retail goes through these channels. So not formal. Most people buy through informal, like I was saying at the start. Yeah, and, and I'm sure
1: that number goes up if you remove South Africa and Morocco and Egypt. Correct, correct. At least it goes up differently. Uh, Morocco, there's another big one in Morocco. but
0: Yes. And, and then 20 to 40% of GDP. The actual market size, it was funny to find the market size, it ranges anywhere from 300 billion to 1 trillion. So let's just say large. That, those kinds of ranges, ranges are not the best. And then if you remember from our Twig of Foods episode, episode 64, when we say people spend six, 40 to 50% of their money on food, that's very, very linked to this sector because they tend to buy their food. From the informal sector, so that's that about yeah. people buying their their food, spending so much money on food is also one of the reasons why this startup is doing what it's doing. It's part of why Togo is yeah.
1: big. Also, in smaller amounts as well. One yeah. of the challenges with working in the formal sector, either as a cons- customer of it or as a participant as a retailer, is you tend to be you t- tend to only be able to buy and sell in really small quantities. So a sachet of milk for. The morning tea or coffee or, or just a bit of butter for bread or one one loaf of bread for lunch, um, which is fairly normal and consistent. Correct. What I, what I know about the sector.
0: So, okay, so th- those are some broad stats. Let's do some more specific ones. So mom and pop stores. First thing is women's participation is extremely high. It's almost always women that are doing the selling in the mom and pop stores. Another thing is... Almost all of the revenue are from only 50 to hundred products. So even though you may think, oh, they may have thousands of products, almost all the revenue is actually concentrated in a few staple items that people buy rice, bread, soap, things like that. And then they sell between 50 to hundred dollars worth of turnover per day. So revenue of 50 to hundred dollars. So obviously because they're small, right? They're not making that much. So the summary is mostly family operated, mostly family owned, mostly women that run it. Revenues are quite low, small sample sizes, low revenue. They don't really have scale. And the education yeah. level is relatively low. So that is yeah, the customer
1: content. path Yeah, the customer path is for daily regular consumption. Correct. It's actually, you get soap, you go buy soap because you want to do laundry today. right. right. And then the soap, you do laundry twice, three times. And then you go buy another soap or you go buy bread because you're hungry. But those, those people are a core part of the community as well, as far as being there during during the daytime, part-time daycare. Uh, for people in communities, so there's a whole angle to this about the the B2B retail also being a core part of a fabric of a community, sort of like for people in the US, sort of like bodegas in New York. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. New York people get very sensitive about bodegas, and everybody else in New York is like, I don't know why this is a thing. Just I use DoorDash. Like, but the bodega has a sandwich and the eggs. All right, whatever.
0: New York people listen to this.
1: This is on you. New York people love bodegas. It's kind of huh. stressful.
0: Hmm. A related point about some of the issues they face. One issue is this is changing a lot, but previously they had to go source and buy their goods themselves, which meant two things. First of all, you take time out of your store, you leave your store to go buy it. And then second of all, you may not be able to get the same bulk pricing discounts cause they all sort of purchase it independently versus buying it as a, as a unit. And then the second thing is it's harder for them to scale because sometimes scaling needs you to have more access to lending or credit. And obviously, they are not have any financial services because they're more rural and, and they're not really in the banking sector. That's changed. And that obviously varies per country. But that's that's the overall stat. So let me just summarize. The way to think about informal retail in most African markets, family-owned, family-operated, small-scale, mostly women, mostly distributed. And the turnover is their sales only come from some products. And they tend to have lower scales. And they don't really combine or collude together as a unit. That is the summary. bank anything you want to add? On that piece.
1: Yeah, just that they are a core part of community and a core part of how people, in most African countries, in SSA, ex South Africa, which is SSA, people tend to get the vast majority of the retail from those places. So for sure. Not not just the. In, in the US, you would be, you go to the big box store for Walmart. In the UK weekly shop or whatever it is and then you get whatever else you need from like a small neighborhood store but this is more like i imagine you went to the corner store for everything right uh, just everything in part because it works because you have to have a lot of money to go and shop for the week all at once or shop for two weeks all at once if you don't make that much money or you are spending 40 50 percent of your budget on food you can only because you need to save some for rent and transportation. So yes. you can, you cannot buy food for the week up front. Right. You have to buy food for the day and food for tomorrow and food for the day right. after. No power for electricity for storage. So these guys also do a lot of like, because they're a business, they would have electricity. They will have some frozen produce. You can get frozen produce if you want. You can get frozen chicken. So you can get the chicken you want to cook today and basically use them as a refrigerator. Buy the chicken free, (laughs) thaw it, cook it, and then it becomes a a pot of soup that you consume that night, and then you go buy tomorrow's chicken, if you you are wealthy enough to have chicken two days in a (laughs) row.
0: Two comments. First is, when I was a kid, my mom used to take me to the market to buy things, and there were basically two categories of markets. There's like a small store, like really, really small. You go there, and then you get whatever you want to get, then you leave. And there's like massive open markets, like show market, like a complete shit show, miserable, terrible place, but way bigger, way open, way more things. So even within this informal, there's also different types and sizes and different scales. So those are just two examples from my childhood. And it wasn't like it was 5% of the time or 20% of the time It was basically 99% of the time. Like we hardly ever went to regular stores later as I got older. There were some stores but my mom just preferred this shit. so that's the first thing yeah
1: second thing is like why did i have to go to the market you know like, it's like why like I, i'm doing nothing there can i just go home and watch cartoons yeah. sometimes
0: if i went i could get like some biscuits and snacks if i convince her to buy it. okay second related thing on this point is as the mobile revolution got underway let's say late 90s early 2000s some of these mom and pop retailers also started to sell mobile related products basically scratch cards and even though they're not really agency banking per se there is some overlap of mom and pop retailers who act as agents so this episode is not about agents not about agency banking but there's some overlap with with like small pop retailers selling financial and mobile products and also acting as agents a little bit of an overlap but not not the topic for this episode listen to a a safari comment for that okay yeah
1: very very interesting go ahead
0: no no i I was saying we're ready for you to talk about the the founding and early history
1: yeah, I can I can talk about the founder and history. So I'll talk about the founders, Danielle, Daniel Yu, mm-hmm. Josh Rain, and David Jaris. Oh, the um, three founders. Wow. The three founders. Basically, the story of Wasoko is a story of Relief Watch and the story of Daniel's personal journey. Daniel ends up being the common thread to, through it all. Right. And a lot of these guys were involved at different stages from Relief Watch to to Wasoko today. So it really centers around Daniel. I, I actually should probably talk just talk about <laughs> he's the
0: he's the who should we say Is a Andela. prime mover
1: founder CEO yes. he's the what he's yeah, the I was, what's I was, name, like, I was
0: gonna say the Adela CEO that stayed the whole time he's the equivalent of the Adela CEO who stayed through all the other yeah.
1: founders yeah Adela founders exactly so I will talk about Daniel so Daniel you born in the in the US seemingly was born in in Los Angeles he appeared oh nice classically classic trained pianist can play the piano, saxophone, can play jazz, study music theory at age 10. Just <laughs> a good old fashioned whiskey. That's legit. Yeah, his father grew up in Hong Kong. He, 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 he this, is, this is cool. He learned Chinese on his own in high school. He was a Chinese language counselor. He studied Arabic. He speaks Spanish. He speaks Swahili. He speaks French. He speaks yeah. Portuguese. Yeah,
0: so the language thing is incredible, right? What a What an, what an unbelievable i don't think we've ever seen a founder that can speak that many languages and have ability before so
1: yeah dude he's he seems to be like a veritable like rena- renaissance man for sure 2016 forbes 30, koreans chicago business tech top 50 2015 no, no, no that's he's...
0: different now that's different that's based on Wasoku. we're talking about before so all those things whenever you're a founder they just give you awards no matter what you're doing <laughs> do you want to know and they also just give you one?
1: they also just give you money yeah nobody's giving me money yet but I, i'll keep talking i'll keep talking about podcasts if you're, if you're hearing and you have money it's burning a hole in your pocket i don't know what we're going to do with it but rest, just rest assured you will change you will change my life I mean, i'm not too proud so to speak. okay so what is what is the story of of Ahsoka? so as a second year student university of chicago what do you what, do you know what he studied Oh, this would have
0: been a great quiz, but I already prepared. So yeah. I actually already have the answer. Yeah. So I can't yeah. pretend.
1: International Studies and Near Eastern Languages. Wow. I,
0: near uh, Eastern Languages is a funny, <laughs> yo, so when I saw it, I'm like, that's, a, it just sounds so specific, but also not specific. You know what I mean? Like Near Eastern, like, okay, anyway, fine. Let's not go for a rabbit hole, but I, I would say odd title uh, for a degree, but w- whatever. Not the not the focus for the podcast, but amusing.
1: Man, I, I can't even believe if I told my parents I want to go to university <laughs> to study. <laughs> Next yeah, Eastern languages. languages.
0: They'll say, okay, It'll go to like, university and don't come back. They'll be like,
1: they'll be like <laughs> Are you up. are you having a laugh? Are you having a laugh?
0: Who's <laughs> going to pay
1: is the which, question? Which which language, which language <laughs> do you want to learn? Yo, yo, you yo, what yo, summer yo, lesson? Yo, you know what you'll do. <laughs> 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 this is what you'll
0: do. You tell them that yo, I've studied international relations. You cut out the rest of the shit. Because we the name of the degree is international. But studies.
1: you you went to you went to University of Chicago, right? And you studied so, Engineering. <laughs> so what if he decided to just do Near East Languages? <laughs> You're going back to... <laughs>
0: <laughs> come back, come back to... to uh, oh my
1: God. Uh, uh, anyways, anyways. so attended the University of Chicago. <laughs> so as a second year student studying Near East Languages, he went to a remote Red Sea town. So this is the story of how he started the precursor company called Relieforch. So mm-hmm. he went to Egypt, somewhere rural, to work on his Arabic, as you do. By the way, if you're trying to learn a language, pro tip, just go there. Exactly. Lead there for a couple of months, you'll pick it up. Yeah,
0: so you're telling me it's better so, than Duolingo? <laughs> Shout out yeah. to Duolingo.
1: Yeah, whatever. So he went, to, <laughs> he went to this town to practice Arabic and teach himself to write code. Right. And now the way he tells the story, fantastic story. One evening, he stopped in a pharmacy to pick up drugs. He found that the store shops were empty. He realized there was no computer access and no inventory control systems in place. Hmm. He thought to himself, if I could link these dumb phones to cloud based inventory systems, healthcare providers in Egypt and elsewhere could restock before it was too late.
0: Makes sense.
1: Went back to Chicago, got some engineers, built some software that does just that. It was called Relief Watch. And he dropped out with the blessings of his parents. But clearly, <laughs> this is the point highlight his yeah, parents pretty, were clearly nice progressive under his thrall. <laughs> under his like thrall, because. The fact that they let him study yeah. means that they were happy to let him drop Like They already committed to let him study near East languages. That's at that point, kind of like... They're like, yo, you already bring you up. <laughs> yeah. It's like, at that point, it's like, if you're studying near East languages and, you, and then you say you want to go to Egypt to learn Arabic, okay, what are you going to do? Of course, go, and you come back from Egypt and you say you want to drop out to run an app for Egyptian pharmacists selling talent and all. Like, dude, at that point, I've heard it all. Yo, yeah. oh, okay, um, so
0: uh, a, a, a question. It seemed from some articles that he had some technical skills and did some of the coding himself.
1: But it sounds like you're saying he got some engineers. So which is right, or, or both? So no, he he went to Egypt to both. He went to Egypt to teach himself how to code, basically, better immerse himself in the language and then teach himself how to code. So he came back, but he got a team because he he, he couldn't write in, the whole thing himself. So he got a team of undergrads to write the software. Oh, I've, and he's the also an undergrad. His classmates.
0: Yeah, love <laughs> say you saying it to him like I was an MBA so, student.
1: So a bit okay. about what Relief Watch does. Or did. did. And it's very similar to, to what Soccer Watch does now. They allow clinics and hospitals to keep track of inventory through a cell phone app. So they charge NGOs for the services and track supplies. So they call the clinicians to see how much of this drug do you have. And NGOs want access to that data so they can use it to distribute drugs. And there's a lot of, for people who don't know, there's a lot of NGOs in many emerging markets, many developing countries that do a lot of drug distribution. If it's vaccines, sometimes it's in in West Africa, which I'm more familiar with is malaria meds, typhoid meds. And they need that information to know who has what and how to do that. And it comes with cold chain issues as well. But you need to know who has what before you send an expensive refrigerator truck there. Right. Inventory really management. Inventory management. So they helped these, let's call it last mile clinicians, for want of a better word, to keep track of inventory to a cell phone app that the NGOs can then pay for to have the data for where to send their supplies. So he tried yeah. NGOs for those services and it was fantastic and they won a bunch of awards.
0: If you're interested, listen to our M Pharma episode, which talks more about Pharmacy, drug, supply chain. But one thing I thought yeah. was odd here is they they said, I don't know if this is true, that the calls were done in, in an automated fashion. So not with people. It would just be like automated, like voice to text to voice, whatever. And then the person would press yeah. a number indicating the level of supplies. and Then the number would, so I was like, oh, actually quite smart and nicely done for the time.
1: Yeah, very nicely done. Also like it, it's it's also straightforward, relatively straightforward technology as far as identifying the number of the inputs of the number you press. Of course, um, of course. The other thing that's unique about the story is he was able to raise... I saw an article where it, says, where it said he was able to raise grant funding, $750,000 of non-dilutive funding before raising any equity. Well, and I thought, man,
0: well, man. That's very odd. Is, is that the one he said he got from University of Chicago or is that a se- separate one?
1: A number of different ones. Something well, from the Prince of Wales, K. something from... Prince some other of Wales.
0: From, <laughs> some different places. Right? Different that's places. so dope. 750K. I, I mean, to be honest... This is the thing that you could get funding from non-traditional NGOs, <laughs> social, whatever, whatever, because it, it seems very, very to funding at, too. too. you Yeah, not only is the best. Keep all the equity. That's the best.
1: Yeah. Also, minor fun fact I found is he was in a 2015 funding competition in in, in, in DC, actually. 80 startups, the prize was 150K. Mm-hmm. Um, he came second, or Ooh. the group second, where he won 100K. What company do you think won the 150K? We've never heard of the company. This,
0: this is the, the Michael Jordan situation. I've
1: already given you a hint. Oh,
0: oh, you gave the hint. No, no, no. I missed it. I missed it, Lord. You I, missed it. I can, it was Twiga. Don't no, worry about it. It's oh, Twiga. Oh, in May okay, so 2015, Twiga was the first. Okay, okay, okay. But, May 2015, of course. It's not the Michael Jordan situation. For, for, for the audience, when, Michael Jordan was a third draft pick, by the way. No one knows what
1: happened to other two. When they describe Twiga as like Twiga fruits, mm-hmm. an exporter of bananas, pineapples, and avocados in Kenya. Oh, wow. They don't do that no more. You yeah, know? I mean, the they do changed. export, I guess, but it's, the game has changed. In 2015, it was an exporter, and they were talking okay. about exports. <clears throat> so that's Relief Watch. So he built this Relief Watch for, to help inventory manage in in emerging markets. And he told it they were able to launch in Panama, Honduras. Yes. So it wasn't just like an Africa-focused yes. thing. It was all over the world, wherever yes. it was
0: needed. Yes, developing markets mostly, as usual.
1: So I was looking for the transition to Soco Watch. So the way he tells it, again, other interviews, he says, we found that consumer packaged goods have the same problem we started working with Wrigley in Kenya, Tringham. More than 90% of the consumer market is handled by an informal distribution channel of hawkers mm-hmm. who supply roadside shacks and sell the product to consumers. Most companies have no ways of, packaged. companies, have no way of tracking their sales in this market. Mm. So yeah, at that point, 2016, he rebranded. This is also when Josh got involved, Josh Rain got involved. He rebranded to Soco Watch and expanded okay. the services to include distribution, using street hawkers to be a one-stop shop for multinationals using, looking to enter emerging markets. Yeah, not just um, health. At that ta- not just health, yeah. At that time, it was set off as a marketplace for people to go end-to-end. So asset-like platform, marketplace for FMCGs on one end and uh, retailers on the other end. So interesting that
0: that version of the story sounds more like the market was pulling him. Another version of the story is based on all the like rules, laws legislation around the healthcare part it was just too difficult that they pivoted but either way they ended up in the same place either that other market was more attractive and or this market had a lot of restrictions so
1: same outcome. and the NGO stuff is like my hunch is it doesn't grow as much
0: right or grow, um, growth rate or, or initial size or both
1: growth rate growth rate in that once you serve the angels in the market trying to get drugs to rural Nigeria, there's you know there's going to be a handful, a handful of them. It's not going to be three thousand of them. It's going to be
0: yeah, yeah. Tens. Yeah, that market is smaller. This market is bigger. There are way more yeah. SMB retailers trying to buy things than people trying to get drugs.
1: The market was bigger, and just he 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 felt that there was something there. So even the transition to Soko Watch was so th- again how he tells the story. The startup did an eight-month pilot program where this. B2B retailers, in this story, they're called street hawkers, but I guess street hawkers didn't help them raise, they raise money, they change to B2B retailers. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. that's a sub
0: Street hawkers, street hawkers are a, street segment, or a yeah. sub-segment of the market.
1: They received merchandise directly from corporations and then they tracked demand using the tech that Relief Watch developed for health clinics. Yes. They found yes. they were able to increase wages for street hawkers, reduce stockouts. As yes. corporations were able to get granular inventory data.
0: Yes. But bankally, we should clarify. So for the audience, when they say corporations, that's just a generic term. Really, it's suppliers and or manufacturers on one side. Yeah. Then the other side is SMB retailers. So corporations just means a big company. But this specific type of company, either supplying it or m- making yeah. it. But anyway, you were saying.
1: Yeah, and he said healthcare invent healthcare product inventory tracking will always be a part of Watch. Of course. <laughs> but previously the pharmaceutical and consumer goods were operating as two different programs, which provide cumbers- which prove cumbersome for the still young startup. Of course. This is when they were in Kenya, but I, I don't, I haven't heard them even mention that they do healthcare before. This no. was like digging. to so we'll find this healthcare part. They're Go like on. B2B as mom and pop. So, so that means like,
0: two things happened. They started to focus more on the Africa part of it because before they had those Central and South American countries. Panama, Honduras. Exactly. Yeah. And they focused on non-health products, specifically FMCG products, shampoo, yeah. soap, rice, beans, bread, whatever. So a, a, a major change, but the tech, not that different.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, and, but but that's how they became so cool. There's a lot about how they transitioned from AssetLive. We'll talk about it later on uh, yes. in the podcast. But that's at that point, they were already a full mature business on the path to generating crazy amounts of wealth um, yes. for the founder. For what,
0: us, what, what a, a story. Them. Intriguing story for different reasons. I mean, almost always in these stories, there's always an element of change slash pivot slash move to a new market opportunity. This is... For some reason, I guess we've spoken about it a little bit. It seems Kenya is much more attractive to foreign founders. And this founder is particularly interesting because he can speak the language. And he didn't come there to do a startup. He came there to learn a language and then saw an opportunity. So, so a little bit different. Fascinating founding story.
1: Fascinating founding story. I, I actually do like the the common thread, just pulling on a thread of interest. Yeah. And I, and I do say this a lot that I'm, I'm inspired by people who are able to do the things they're really interested in without yeah. like a career end goal. Yeah. It's almost like he just did the things I was interested in. Like international studies and East Languages. Yeah. And, I, and, I know and all these languages also mm, you I would probably have to drop out of school. So like that? So Seed Round, two million, two and a half million dollars. I saw. I could see different mentions of Seed Round from 2015 to 2018, but 1776 ventures, which early on gave them a which is where they won the non this the competition in 2015. Oh um, right. 4DX, Outliers Ventures, Golden Palm Investments, shout out Sangu, Linux Capital, Village Capital, Global Innovation Fund, $2 million, $2.5 million very early on in the stage where Incredible. they went from, from Relief Watch to Soka Watch. They must have been like an easy, relatively easy investment to make, right? Because somebody who's been around in the market for a while and doing stuff.
0: I mean, but yeah, he dropped out of school, he speaks the language, and they already have good traction. That's that's a, yeah, a, a good sign, and a lot of these investors are quite famous on but I think 4DX did Flutterwave, Village yeah. Global. I think they did CUDA. I don't. And let's not, in case I am yeah. misremembering. Golden Palm,
1: just... Golden Palm has done almost everything.
0: Exactly. So uh, these are well-known some, investors who are familiar with Africa tech.
1: We just borrow conviction from them as well. So now on Series A, February 2020, yeah, two fourteen million dollars. When people, pay, when people start paying attention. So, Kona Capital, Timon Capital, the, or the founder of Tinder, Justin Mateen, or co founder oh. of Tinder, depending on the outcome yo. of the lawsuit. Uh,
0: <laughs> yo, 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 there's yo, yo, there's, there's, founder, <laughs> there's a, And there's co founders. And there's co founders. <laughs>
1: yeah. So, Jam Fund, Golden mm-hmm. Palm again, some mm-hmm. other um, investors, Catalyst Fund, Breyer Capital. Yes. Shield, Tile, Amplow. Yes. We Invested yes. in um, Robinhood and Barat Pay. So they, by that Series A, they got some really good round of investors at $14 yeah. million. Dollars. This was announced just before the pandemic in February 2020. Yeah. So must have been raising in 2019.
0: Amazing. T- exactly. They were probably raising around 2019. Either way, amazing timing. And then the stated goal for the round was to offer more services, such as working capital, data analytics, and more advanced tools to our, our SMB retailers and to potentially enter new markets. But obviously because of COVID, they didn't enter those markets immediately. I'll talk about that later, but yeah, mm-hmm. makes sense. 14 million is a lot good founders. I'm, I'm good investors. Also a good combination of individual rich investors versus just general funds. Yeah. Nice.
1: Yeah. I like that a lot. Series B was the one that everybody sat up and paid attention, right? Because Made you look. a large amount of I'm money, 125, 125 million, 125 million dollars, Series B. And the valuation um, went leaked. Six six twenty-five million dollars. I don't think it leaked. I Dope. think I wanted you guys to know that we're coming. We have a big check. Dope. And we're coming. Dope. So that was Tiger Global, Avenue Growth, VNV Global, Flipkart co founder, Udan co founder, corner yes. capital, 40X, Jam Fund. Basically probably taking their pirata. Incredible. To make sure that they, they can still play and they can still eat Of feed. course.
0: At the time of the Series B, 2022 March, it was either the largest or second largest non-fintech investment in Africa tech, which is incredible. Now it's third or fourth. But either way, at the time, it was either first or second, which is incredible. Obviously, specifically non-fintech. I'm emphasizing that. First note. Second yeah. note is, for the audience who's not familiar with Udan, it's basically the Indian version of this. But they're way, yeah. way bigger, way more, quote-unquote, successful, higher valuation. Biggest in the world. Yeah, biggest in the world, unicorn. But an interesting signal that the co-founder of that Indian version of a B2B retail e-commerce player is not only invested, is now on the board. So entry. we'll talk about it in the potential exit piece later, but fascinating, yeah. fascinating,
1: fascinating. That's one of those. That's what I said at the beginning. <clears throat> I just got the borrow conviction from all of these guys to say it's a great company from the outside end. And they were able to raise... It lacks some, I mean at the time though, Tiger Global was definitely like beating up prices of companies in (laughs) (laughs) Africa generally.
0: Globally globally. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. globally.
1: So take that take that with a pinch of salt, but it's I mean, they collected their money, so hopefully they're able to to grow and grow into the valuation that that they have they're making their they're getting to. So I thought that was very, very interesting. So summarize the fundraising part is they've raised a lot of money and they brought Tiger Global to come in a big bazooka and put in and lead the one twenty five million dollar round, but they also have gotten some super competent market geography competent investors, but also problem area investors as well. Mm. you couldn't pick a better, like having the Udan co founder on your board. Incredible. You couldn't. You can't buy that. Basically, it's giving you money so you can give you advice. It's wild. So that's that's pretty good. So that's pretty good for them.
0: Additional note specifically about the 2022 March Series B is the stated goal for the fundraising was to expand into Francophone Africa, specifically Côte d'Ivoire, a.k.a. Ivory Coast and Senegal. And so Daniel said this in one of the interviews I thought was really cool. 40 percent of the senior leadership team already spoke French. Incredible. Now, obviously, he speaks like 14 languages, right? So he can speak this. We said he speaks Swahili, Portuguese, Spanish, Arabic, English, Cantonese, French, but 40% of the team already spoke that. And there were some rumors that they were potentially investigating going to South Africa and Nigeria. We'll we'll talk about international expansion later, but fascinating that the the state of goal of this round. Why not...
1: one, well, like I saw that 40% spoke French. I'm like, that says nothing because 100% of you guys speak English. Okay. So, like, <laughs> like, <laughs> so it's no, like by says... that measure, why not Ghana? So, it's <laughs> one of those things where it's like, oh, 40% of us speak French. So, therefore, Ivory Coast is like, that logic is not, wow. does not hold up. Wow. It sounds good, but that logic is not, does not hold up. Wow. You're vicious. There's Wait, nothing vicious about it. I'm just what, saying that you got to see other, through it. What
0: other large English markets? Are there apart from Ghana. Nigeria and South Africa? Ghana is small Ghana. now. That's small now. What are you saying? That's not large. Ghana
1: anymore. is bigger. Ghana versus Senegal?
0: No, You <laughs> no, no. They're they're doing a group of the francophone countries. It's not one versus one. It's one versus the block.
1: They're not close. What what is the group? What is the what is the benefit of doing a group? My point is, well, the I just benefit is more customers now?
0: More customers. You do the because they all speak French now. Are we not saying it's, the same thing?
1: <laughs> no, their operations are very local and country specific. So the fact that you do it in Côte does not necessarily make it easy for you to do it in Senegal. It's not right. fintech, is what I'm right. saying. Of course, so why of course. not Ghana by that measure? So the language is not the only, it's not a determining factor. It just sounds nice as an explanation. That's all I'm pointing out. Wow.
0: Right? This like, is a, this is positive bias. You're so vicious, man. That's really, it, the language really is is set his piece. Fine. Which is f- yeah. fair, fair point about Ghana and all of them.
1: And then... Or, like, I a, or Liberia. I don't know. Are we making this up Sierra Leone? Like, we can do this all day. Wow. Well, um, okay. But moving on.
0: Well, I was I was very excited about the francophone expansion. Other people less so, but I'm not gonna comment on that. Anything else on the fundraising piece? I'm going otherwise I'll talk about growth and
1: geo. No, that was it. That was it. That was it. Good lots of money they raised. Fantastic company. Love it. The
0: six hundred and twenty-five million dollar valuation. They've raised a hundred and something total, but obviously almost all of it was the last one, the one twenty five. Fascinating story. And and because they have so much money now. There were also some talks about potential acquisitions as ways to enter new markets. Okay, now let's talk about new markets. I'm gonna talk about geo-expansion and growth. Jew expansion 2016, 2015, 2016, founded in Kenya, focused on Kenya. 2017, expanded to Tanzania. 2018, expanded to Rwanda. 2019, entered Uganda. So obviously this is telling us there's an Eastern Africa focus. Kenya is the biggest part of East Africa, yeah. and they were focusing on that for the first couple of years. 2020, the round bank was talking about the series A. They said they were going to go into more markets, but because of COVID, obviously they paused that. By the time they did the series yeah. B in 2022, March, they're now in Côte d'Ivoire and Senegal. And what I said about potentially Nigeria and South Africa, specifically the CEO said, Nigeria is a little bit of a different market. And we want to explore other players and the progress they've made there. So some hints, hints about potential acquisitions yeah. of some Nigerian players to get in there. Maybe they will, maybe won't. Yeah. they won't.
1: This year in 2023, they also launched in Zambia and Zanzibar. Ah, so don't give me no crap about Ghana. Yes,
0: yes, yes, yes. Although the Zanzibar one is like just tax, tax shelter shit. So I don't know if Zanzibar is a real launch. Because Zanzibar is tiny. Right?
1: Maybe since you are there, now they are... The tax accountant now. Since you're now on the board of the tax. Email lawyers. Yeah, the tax. You're the tax, you're the tax. <laughs> Since you're now the tax, tax consultant, so what's so telling me that? Wow. What I'm not ta- going to comment. What tax reasons? Okay. Yeah, but, I say, uh, but I say the one you know and I'm the not, one you don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to comment. <laughs>
0: Literally, that's what the CEO said. Don't, don't, don't be a hater. <laughs> one other thing to emphasize is, so obviously when I spoke about the expansion, I spoke about it from the international Expansion, But within Kenya, they've been expanding in a bunch of different cities. So we're not going to get into that on the podcast. It'll be a 100-hour podcast. But don't think about it as country to country to country. Think about it like Uber, city to city to city to city. So even if they don't have more country expansion, they can have cities expansion within those countries. Yeah, very obvious, but wanted to state that. All right, expansion strategy. What different partnerships have they had? Not a lot, actually, very few. Most notably with MasterCard. They partner with MasterCard to offer credit services, BNPL, buy now, pay later, to the merchants, aka the retailers, to buy stuff. They've had a bunch of other small partnerships with Coca-Cola for distribution, with Unilever for distribution, and then obviously with the government of Zanzibar to to do the the, the tax haven hub, which Vanquely was laughing at previously. All right, inorganic oh. <laughs> inorganic expansion. They've made an investment in only one company, and it's Two Shop T U S H O P. Apologies if I'm mispronouncing that. And what Two Shop does is they are group buying startup, AKA social commerce. They basically like Pinduoduo. If you're not familiar with Pinduoduo in China, people buy stuff in bulk. Because you buy it in bulk, you get a bulk discount and then things are relatively cheaper. And sometimes they use a local community leader to help with the marketing and with the last mile delivery, which also reduces the cost. So that's what they're doing. Basically, it's a way for them to understand the b 2 b to c part of the market because 2Shop and Pendodo directly affect end consumers versus they're just with the yeah. suppliers and the retailers. So any thoughts on that investment?
1: I, I thought it was interesting. I thought they're they're unafraid to flex. I, I, I My read from this is sort of, will come at my conclusion on the exit opportunities is that they're unafraid to flex, merge, look for partnerships. They're really trying to go, like trying to win overall, not necessarily win by themselves. Like, like they're looking around, they've been very open about looking for opportunities, opportunities for acquisitions or mergers and they're looking for like no we're, we're all going to eat reminiscent of the Hillam health and what they were t- publicly talking about oh and, right 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 uh, okay, back okay. Then. i thought
0: you were going to say like, mfs africa mfs africa is the they're the kings of partnerships based on yeah, africa. mfs
1: africa as well yeah. basically basically like look yes. we all we're all doing the same thing Let's all not fight.
0: To the move. but mfs ha- has no a fighting. slight advantage no that for fintech it's a natural way to think because that's based on scale economies. Other sectors, yeah. it's harder for them to, to do that because sometimes hard to see the scale economy. So MFS gets credit, but their sector gives them that that leverage. So maybe not. not, not yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Team strategy. So the, the team strategy is, I mean, it's like a typical team strategy. Nothing out of the ordinary. Just want to point out two slight points. Number one, the CEO Daniel emphasized a lot that he gives equity to everyone, including the, the bus drivers including the bike driver. So that is sort of nice. And he specifically said he feels like it's responsibility of the leadership team to inform the workers of the potential value of the stock, of the stock options versus, oh, oh, I just want cash because I don't know what it's going to be worth. And then 2026, you see Daniel has 30 million. And you're like, oh my God, he has 30 million. 30
1: billion. <laughs> I, I, I can be billion.
0: Come on. He has 30 million and, <laughs> and, I, and I have a 20K, right? So anyway, that sounds good. I don't know in practice if like, Yes, you're getting equity, but you're getting 0.00001%, which is still useless. So, sounds good on paper. So, I don't know what the details are.
1: It's interesting because Amazon had this in the U.S. where they used to give warehouse workers. Everybody in Amazon used to get equity, right? Every single person had to But they,
0: they changed it. And they said they increased their salary. Ah, God's it's $20 Amazon. an hour. <laughs> they yeah. give you salary, but your overall yeah. potential comp will be lower if our stock goes up. the ah, wickedness. Yeah. Anyway, you were saying. So,
1: so, you argue that I don't know if that has helped or hurt hiring. But you could argue that it's very, one cynical way to view that is very paternalistic. Like some people do just want cash, mm-hmm. not equity, even if equity is life-changing, even if right. it's the right logical thing, but want an the non-logical thing. Right. I find it very interesting. I'm I'm having I'm my mind on it because on one hand, you can say the Amazon thing is disingenuous, but on the other hand, it's like the people want cash. <laughs> even when you give people the option. So Shopify had this thing a year ago, during the pandemic. Oh no, pandemic was great for Shopify. Post-pandemic, <laughs> when everybody calmed down. Where they they switched their comp model to a sliding scale for equity. Yeah. And a large number of people picked all cash or, or some people right. picked equity, some people picked cash. And those who picked equity, because this happened at the bottom of the thing, are up 70% or 60%. Yeah, and those, and who, those pick who pick cash, cash and,
0: they're up 0%. <laughs>
1: they're up 0%. <laughs> so you could argue either way because the story is not done. It can go up or go down again or whatever. And I do, th- I do find, I don't think it's an easy answer here. It's like, yeah. yeah, everybody should get equity. But also, if you're making, I don't know, a relatively small amount, even for you, even at whatever level of income you're in, Correct. you're getting another relatively small amount as equity. It's like, I don't know, man, just give me cash. Because even if it triples, it still triples to a small amount. Even if it quadruples, small amount. Even if they raise again in two years. Also, not to mention the liquidity and the taxes that you have to do, which may not be an issue in Kenya, but I know in the US, there's a lot of complexity around pre vest pre-public stock options that can be expensive for people. So it's not necessarily, it can end up being more trouble than it's worth depending on the amount. Yeah,
0: so there are two levels of answers here. There's what should the company offer? And then what should the employee take? So for what the company should offer, almost everyone will say the company should give as many options as possible, right? That's fair. Because that gives a person more optionality, and optionality has value. So that, at least for the company, it's clear. gives many options. Now, what the employee should do, what you're saying, I agree with you. It depends on your personal circumstances, like your your belief of the growth potential of the company, your immediate liquidity needs, your time horizon. What the employee should do is very tricky. It's very individualistic. But what the company should do is please more options so people can figure it
1: out. As a choice, as a choice. Not yeah, not as, as a, a choice, choice, as a choice. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. Amazon did not have hey, it as a choice. Op- Amazon was means, like...
0: <laughs> if the options don't have a choice, they're not really options. I guess the definition yeah. of options should be... As a choice. You, you can choose, yes, yes, yes. a no um, choice. I, I will yeah. say for, for people that are younger, I mean, it's hard to make blanket statements because it depends on the individual, but I'll do it anyway. I'll do it anyway. If you're younger and you have higher risk appetite, you should make sure you fully understand what the stocks could do Versus taking cash, like if you're 22, 23, you may have a high risk appetite. But anyway, it depends because age doesn't necessarily match that. Anyway, so, let, let's let's keep going because yeah. that's a whole rabbit hole on its own. All right, so taking Somebody us back a few seconds, we're talking about the team strategy, and I spoke about the equity and compensation. So if I look at the exact team, so Daniel's the CEO, he has a bunch of reports: CFO, global head of people. That's the basically people lead, product lead, engineering lead, global head of FMCG. Cool title, a marketing relationships. E- right, exactly. That's supplier supplier relationships, basically. It's like supplier partnerships. Global head of BI, which I guess is business intelligence, operational excellence, and logistics. So the fact they have a sourcing exec, a logistics exec, and an FMCG partnerships exec, it just leads to what we're saying before. This is a asset heavy operational logistics business. And the pivot they did was so early in their DNA. That's basically what the company does now. All right. Anything else on the team yeah. stuff before I wrap us up? No, that's metrics. it. That's it. That's that's all. That's all. A few Go quick ahead. quick metrics. So I'll talk about the number of retailers, aka mom and pop shops they've had over time. 2018 July. Uh, they said a few thousand retailers. So they were non-specific. I'll I'll just say for the sake of operability, let's say two to four thousand. Yeah, a few. Twenty twenty February, fifteen thousand retailers. So a Way lot. Tall. And then because of COVID, 2022, March, 50,000. So now, as of recording, we're in mid-2023. Fair to say they have between 50 and 100. So they've had a lot of growth. GMV, I hate to even say the number because it's the taker is going to be so low. But anyway, let's just do it. So 2022, March, they announced they had $300 million of GMV, but like cut a lot of zeros out of there. This is like a single-digit... Margin business, so think think about that as single digit revenue if you can do any conversion. I wouldn't don't even think about the two hundred million number. It's bullshit.
1: I will say this though, it's better margins than payments. At least it can be better margins than payments. I'll talk about this in the yeah. It, 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 in it a depends second.
0: on on what level of it depends on how you've how you can amortize the hard the infrastructure costs over all, all your stuff. Like if you just built a factory, right? Like the factory needs a bunch of sales to cover that up to mm-hmm. flow down to the margin line. So it depends.
1: Exactly. Exactly. No, but but you know those the investments will be capital assets. Correct. That correct. will be reflected differently on, on on an income statement. Yes. So I do feel that they have a healthy margin, healthy operating margin, in in theory. Okay. Okay. Operating okay, okay. margin. Our, versus, I'm not saying anything. Yes.
0: Yes. No, in fact. Yeah. Operating so margin. We actually yeah. have some examples. If you look at, let's pick a comparable business in America, not comparable, but similar. So AWS, even though people think it's a really bad business, it's actually a great business, but that's because AWS launched 13, 14 years ago. So it actually has really yeah. nice margins. Now, if you look at Google Cloud, GCP, which was six years behind, they actually have worse margins. Yeah. So when you get to a certain yeah. scale, it starts to make sense, but you need to get to that scale. So Microsoft Azure exactly. and AWS have way better margins than GCP, but you need to get to that scale. When you get to that scale, it'll be better. Initially it will be horrible.
1: What I'm even saying that if most of their expenses are capital assets purchased, so they will show up in a different part of the income statement, right? They'll show up at the bottom, or either as EBITDA, if it's a capital lease on a pricing lease. And those will be the warehouses and the assets they're buying and all the things on the assets balance sheet because they're storing and taking control of the actual goods that they're selling. All of that stuff, like the p will look pretty because but, you can capitalize a bunch of their costs.
0: Yes, but, but the, the delivery... You're not going to do capital to that. You have to match it because the delivery costs match the yeah. the shipping costs are for that. Yeah. And shipping costs, I yeah. mean, it should be cheap, but I guess it depends on what type of delivery. I saw an article so, yeah. you're trying to switch to electric. Potentially, potentially, we yeah. have to look at all but the like, costs now. Like, don't just b- bury the capital stuff and say it's fine.
1: No, I'm, I'm saying you can finance that differently. Anyways, let's let's yes. go down fair. that rabbit hole. Fair fair, um, fair, fair point. Isn't it? Isn't it amazing? What I found amazing is. I, I looked up some so $300 million of GMV, I think it's gonna be a healthy take rate from like a from like yeah. an operational second, perspective. Digit. Like they gotta spend a lot of money on investor, but I yeah. think from like a however you can adjust the EBITDA in a way that makes them look at a unit economic perspective, it looks like it can be good. The second thing is What's your definition of good? Single million.
0: digit? Double digit? It, 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 single it digit can't... and
1: growing. Yeah, single, single digit. digit is and growing. Fair. Yeah. I think I think they can aspire to like a high double digit at a steady state.
0: Yeah, it depends on what, um, what kinds of... Some goods are have way higher margins than others. You'd be surprised by some of these freaking shampoo products. Like, when you look at the... You're like, oh, wow, the margins are crazy. So, some goods that look very similar actually have very different margins.
1: <clears throat> yeah, but you see what they're replacing? They're replacing a chain of three, four people, right? That all eat from that chain. And they're going to take all of that margin, swallow it, consume it, digest it, and put it in a motorcycle that sends it to somebody. <laughs> so, anyways, I'm optimistic. Funny. What I was going to say is, isn't it funny... I saw a Financial Times article that they make like the annual revenue is thirty million dollars in twenty twenty two. Whatever.
0: Oh, oh, there. oh. Okay, okay, okay.
1: Thirty um, million. Interesting. But thirty million. But the is that they're in Kenya, Tanzania, Rwanda, Uganda, and these are what affability would call smaller countries. And like, yeah, when you're ready, come to Nigeria. Yes. Like, what's that? But the that's now, and then I'm thirty million money.
0: is. Sm- and by the way, that thirty million confirms our single digit secret because okay, that's ten percent of three hundred. But actually, the thirty million is last month times 12, right? So the actual revenue is small, but but the 30 million is small because forget about the hype cycle. Startups are so great. If you do actual multiples of the 30 to valuation, it will be a small company, right? It wouldn't be 600 million. No one is going to multiply by 20 for this business.
1: Uh, Tiger did, (laughs) (laughs) I don't, Yo, I don't know. I don't know. 20x. I was like 20x multiple ask about, but you know, hey, what can I say? I'm not I don't have the visibility or the vision yeah, of yeah. these companies at that scale. And like maybe it's the right choice. Maybe it's the right choice to with be benchmark and comparables. I don't know. Like I, right. there's a lot of things around it. Yes. Where I was going with that is it seems like a small market, which may may because you you don't fund it for what it is, you fund it with the hope that it can grow into evaluation. Yes. And the idea you're looking at is like, look, if they come into a bigger market, I'm very wary of arguments like this. I'm are wary of the argument I'm about to make, mm. which is if they can come into a place like Nigeria and get X percent of the market, if they're doing thirty million in Kenya and like thing and that, then how big is the Nigerian market? You know, how big is these other markets? And you start to become... Start to get excited. It's like, okay, yes. 20x. Okay, let me sign. Yeah. Oh, all all guess
0: for the audience is not that much bigger. So Nigeria, depending on which stat you believe, let's just say 200. If you add all those eastern countries, they'll be like 70 to 85. So it's only 2x higher. It's not like it's 15x higher, right? So it's higher, but it's not like, because Kenya is already like 40, 50 million, right? When you add Uganda, Tanzania, it's 60, 70. So it's not, yes, it's higher, but it's not like, it's not like they're in like this tiny
1: country. No, but they can double their like, right? <laughs> so this thing they have, they have their entire <laughs> business unlocked, and they can go get another one again. Right. And, you, and as an investor, you get it for the same valuation. This is your Nigeria. Bias. No, the, there's a, the, no. There's also on top of that is what I'm saying. So basically, your 20x does seem like a lot, but when you look at what else is there left to do and your belief on whether and how they can win in those markets, mm. it starts to look less crazy. Yeah. Again, the investors who do have their re- have their rationale but i do find us the smaller market point of view to be like no it doesn't matter big or small just do what you're doing go after a big opportunity population is not marketized it's very interesting as like a thought model and this is the example of population not being marketized completely because they even have in nigeria thing on their roadmap, only vaguely so they don't have any south africa egypt on their roadmap, only vaguely so and they're eating man everybody's fed everybody's flying business class they're fed
0: Yo, the, so, the the surprising juggernaut always in the background here is Ethiopia a lot of people believe Ethiopia has like almost a hundred million people but because it's like it's so far behind that it's not a market yeah. that people can easily access I don't know was it orange or was, we, we actually had an episode where one company was getting in there maybe alphabetability episode 90 yeah. something we'll talk about Ethiopia because MTN. it's like a
1: it's MTN. Oh, It was
0: yeah. MTN. They already speak English. It's the last frontier. They're large, but population isn't enough. Isn't enough to make it work. It's just an interesting angle. It's so close. There's so many people. The language is there. The market is different, but not that different. But let's see how that evolves for the future. I think. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's there's a lot. There's a bunch of startups doing delivery. Talking some startups doing, doing in that market as well. Interesting. I will see. It's the it's the last front. It's the last the last frontier. It's the it's the last frontier. We'll see. Yeah. But anyways, I I found their numbers. Interesting in a positive sense. I'm like, you know, if you 30 get thirty million dollars top line. That's good. All right, and cool. And it was
0: actual revenue. It was like,
1: uh, according to the Financial Times. I don't, I, mean, I don't. Okay. Again, as an, if I'm an, if, if you ask me for money okay. very different diligence. than okay. if I'm okay, because um, we already okay. know it's
0: not the GMV, right? The GMV is hundred and something. But even you can cut. There are different cuts before you get to actual revenue. But anyway, let's not let's not get into financial analysis. I'm not. For the audience i'm not mixing costs i'm talking about actual revenue because depending on your partnership strategy you may have to give money to multiple partners and take two cuts from gmv but fine should we do product strategy and monetization
1: yeah let's do product strategy so i'll talk about how the so i'll talk about how the product works how they make money what what their costs could be and then i'll wrap that section and go about competition so essentially what these guys cover is dry goods not fresh produce this is important because it ends up in a completely different supply chain for like delivery timelines, which can deliver how you deliver. And I want to contrast this to say Trigger, which does a lot more things that can spoil mm-hmm. or that can be damaged. And that ends up helping them in a way because they have to have the same warehouse. The second thing about the product from their perspective is they provide a small number. So how Dino describes it is that they have a few too many pro- problems. They have a small number of suppliers that provide the 300 or so goods that they offer to co- thousands of customers. So they end up only having to deal with four or five people, and their job, their goal is to go as high up in the chain as possible. So go to distributors and then go to PNG and then Unilever and then PNG Global or whatever it is, mm. and that's a big part of how they optimize the entire like supply chain and stuff like that. The other piece about how they work is they are asset heavy with complete end-to-end ownership. So I find this very interesting. They have, uh, they stock their own goods which they procure from brands and manufacturers. So let me read this quote from him. We stock our own goods which we procure from brands and manufacturers, which is key to cutting out layers of minimum which exist right now. Wholesalers, distributors, sub-distributors, which hike up the cost. Hmm. We try to go as upstream as possible for sourcing and get it directly to the point of sale. Interesting. So they go to <laughs> as far high as they can go. This is what they describe it. They tell p I'll pick it up on the ports. We should, <laughs> you know, we, we I'm should, putting in my warehouse. We should do a,
0: what do we call it? Customer, customer journey steps, whatever a PM would call it. So I'm an yeah. SMB retailer. I want to order something. I bring up my phone. I yeah. either use I'll, the app. Yeah. Oh, oh you're going to, you're going to want to talk about it.
1: I'll, yeah. Okay. No, I'll get to that in a second. I'm talking should, about, on how they get, should, should how we they talk get about, where they get to. Is it, is it better
0: for us to talk about that first or after? Cause that sounds like the, the foundation of how it works from a user perspective.
1: Uh, sort of when I'm starting from where the goods come from.
0: Right? Okay, 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 you want to start with okay. Um, the goods start with the supply, and then they come. All right.
1: Yeah. So they are asset heavy. in ownership. They own and stock everything that they have. Yes. And and asset. They also build they the have technology houses
0: and trucks and bikes and, and trucks. Cars. Everything.
1: Yeah. They are very clear about being asset heavy. They also build a bunch of tech. They have an app. They have SMS, WhatsApp ordering channels. <coughs> you can order via WhatsApp. Yes. They I'm have. By the they said. It's physically impossible to manually run an on-demand delivery operation to 50,000 merchants across six countries mm. if they are not a very tight full back-end managing inventory, delivery routing, demand planning, all of that. Yes. It's actually wild. And they have the advantage um, so of
0: Impesa, so they can get instant payments.
1: In Kenya, exactly. And they do all kinds of, they accept all kinds of, can pay cash on deliveries. So the users, the retailers, what they do is they have an app or they can use SMS or WhatsApp. Yes. There's a Wasoko so app. You use the app. You download the app. You see prices. You can order. Yes. Depending on the cut-off time when you order. If you order before 12, you get it the same day. Ah, nice. It, after 12, you get it's, it the next day.
0: It's like Amazon. And... Prime, same-day delivery.
1: Yeah, it's wild. And delivery is free. I looked this up. At least in Kenya, it's free. Mm. I'm like, it must be nice margins. Yeah, there's no and such thing as free
0: delivery. The price is baked into the price of the good. If you believe it's free, I'll have to put you on a retail,
1: yeah. retailers, retailers who have been customers for three months can then access credit. Oh. So you can basically join Access for Three Months, Access Credit. They do all their lending at this point from their balance sheet. This was also another interesting point. I've heard
0: very strange. Um, yeah, they I, raise I, debt. Yeah. I'm sure they're going to raise debt soon. But they have 125, they, yeah. so I guess it's fine.
1: Yeah, it's also... Pr- yeah, they have 125. Also, uh, that's probably part of it. It's like they, they have a lot of money and, and yeah. they'll see. They, they don't need it yet. But if you do want to turbocharge it, you know... Yeah, it's interesting it that
0: they do it based on... Length of relationship versus based on actual creditworthiness. It's probably because the creditworthiness data isn't reliable. Because I would do it based I, on like the person. Like you can't tell me I can't get a loan because like what if I I'm a better like it's based on the person willingness to pay, not how long they've been a customer. right? Just logically, but they don't. have. Yeah, the data, and,
1: so. yeah. In an ideal world, the data and, exactly and, and, and data data is not shared. People yes. who have data will not give it to you. Correct. for right So they're using so their plans. own
0: internal data after three months of transactions.
1: Yeah, exactly. So that's pretty much. What they do on the monetization? How do they make money? Oh, they make money um, on the spread. But, but Lee,
0: uh, a question for you on the product, and then we do monetization. I was going through the user flow. It looks like it's way better to use the app. The SMS is impossible. Like, cause you have to. Press, I mean, but if ah, uh, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead, no, go ahead. Because it's not as visual, right? So it just takes way longer. But I guess if you don't have the phone, you don't have it right.
1: But also if you know what you want, it's like it's you know, this B2B retailer is really complex. It's stock only 300 goods. You know you gotta buy milk, you know you gotta buy Dano milk, you know you gotta buy this bread and these eggs. Like yes, for the first time, maybe. Yes, for the second time if you're trying to like diversify your supply chain or whatever it is. But if you're just trying to like sell the same ten items that you sell in your corner store, I get it, the visual thing is helpful for browsing, but I guess these people are businesses not browsing, so maybe it's not as mm. As, uh, as suboptimal as it, as, it, as it first sounds.
0: Interesting, and then I, WhatsApp channel. I, I looked at the visuals for the WhatsApp, the WhatsApp is actually way better than I thought because it's like a, it's a WhatsApp business channel. And if anyone uses WhatsApp business, like you can actually embed photos. So it's sort of similar to yeah. the app. Obviously the app is the best, but it's not, it's not such a big drop off because you like, you ask the bot a question and then it shows you that you select, it's fine, it's the, it's the SMS one, that's a big yeah. drop off, but it's good they have yeah. all those
1: options. WhatsApp business as well. There's a friend of mine who makes native, which is just Nigerian traditional clothes for me in Lagos. And basically he has a WhatsApp store, WhatsApp business that I just go and I just look at his catalog and I just pick stuff. It's actually wild because what he would do before is send me a ton of pictures Mm. and I'll go pictures and I have to reply back to the specific picture and stuff. But now I just go to his catalog and see if there's new stuff. I'm like, Oh, I'm in Lagos in a week and a half. Can I get this? And it's ready for me when I land. So shout out to WhatsApp.
0: Yeah, shut up. But, but um, sorry, we are gonna say monetization. I took us on. I just thought it was interesting yeah, monetization. to contrast the different flows because it, it, it would sound equivalent. It's not equivalent from a user yeah. from a user
1: perspective. Monetization. They make money on the spread between what they pay for goods and what they sell it for. Coming back, so they make money between the spread of what they what they buy something from what they sell it for. And I was looking up the average margins for fast moving consumer goods. This is very Western. Mm. So distributor margins can be three to ten percent. Small. Retailer margins can be eight to forty percent. 40, so those are combined for the real margin. So you're looking at 10 to 50% for the retailer margin, for the channel margin on fast FMCG. Mm-hmm. Given the difficulty in Africa for like the distribution ends up being like a super key point, mm-hmm. I would say it's probably the same or maybe even higher. Because the distribution is like a distribution has a chokehold on the market if you think about it anyway. There are many alternative channels. At least it's going to be in the same ballpark at the very least. So that's a lot of margin to play with if you think about it. If they can. Somehow squeeze out what FMCG would pay forty to fifty percent for, or uh, you know forty percent for in margin, and they can take that and it be one channel, and they can squeeze out all that margin. That's that's why I talked about like they seem to have a. It appears that they have a lot to play with Hopefully, um, Hopefully. yeah, on the margin. So that's pretty op- optimistic about how they can make money. Yeah
0: and then probably also some credit lending at some point they'll get something on that. Yeah. but it's still small
1: now oh, they say, they say they, I, I thought that as much because one they don't talk about it two they haven't raised debt for it And but he said there's a quote I saw somewhere it's like it's a significant part of our business but we just oh, want really? to balance it for now and I thought that was very interesting significant um, part
0: of the 30 million is what from lending says. Yeah, I'm surprised yeah.
1: Surprising. I don't know what they charge I saw Trade Depot charges 4-10% to 4-9% to 7, 9% monthly Mm. On interest rates, mm. these are short term loans as well. So, four percent is pretty good. People always say, like Oh, but it's 48 percent. I don't know, I'm crazy. Like, dude, yeah, it's not nobody's taking loan no, for no a long time. No is going
0: to wait for for a year for that. I mean, you're saying yeah, your bread is
1: that... going to be sold tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow is yeah. like if, if you, you wait for a year, it depends on when you, you
0: defaulted. <laughs> It means the person's gone out of business.
1: (laughs) That's a crazy high APR. It's 11,000% APR. No, yes, it's high rent, high interest, but it's a weak. uh, Yeah. Oh, it doesn't map out. Also,
0: you need to do apples to apples for whatever the market is willing (laughs) to consume. Don't say, oh, my American Express business platinum card is. That's you've completely lost. You've completely lost. You don't know what you're
1: comparing to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Anyways, so. There that there's also some healthy margin there. If you add a credit margin on top of a distributor channel margin. Yeah. That can be nice. That can be like really nice. That's like fifty, sixty percent margin to play with for a delivery. That can be really nice. And then they spend some of that margin on delivery and OPEX and all that stuff on salaries. But that can be that sound that sounds sweet.
0: Yeah, it, it depends on if you get enough scale to do the delivery in a way that makes sense. You'd be surprised by how expensive delivery costs are. Because basically you need to deliver a lot all at once. Yeah. If you deliver something that's small, then obviously it doesn't make any sense because the cost is such a big proportion of the total. So maybe, may, maybe yeah. not, I'm not sure. And then also FMC yeah. is such a broad And category. it's a small amount. Exactly.
1: It's like hundred dollars. So, so you get $30, right. $20 I margin. You have to go, you have to do a lot of $20 to get it $30 you have to million st- in revenue.
0: You have to like revolve that. It's so, crack. Yeah, I'm not sure. I know not so applicable to developing markets, but if this were in a developed market, you think about white label, you think about advertising, there are a few things you could do to juice it up that are like easy wins, but I think they haven't reached that point yet. Also data, maybe what data flows can you send to the suppliers to let them have more inventory transparency? Maybe you could charge for that. Probably not. There's some angles, but...
1: Yeah. Let's talk about this now, actually. It's not even a good place to talk about it, but I was thinking about let's go. They can go back, backward integrate or forward right. integrate towards the customer. Yes. It's almost like at some point they can make this shampoo themselves. It's actually not complicated. Yes. Um or, 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 to make it. Or, 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 and because they have has, distribution you have margin.
0: A, in China, you don't have to make it. Just get someone in China that doesn't. Yeah. You don't need to, to make it get or or supply. You, you can go all the way up.
1: Cut out PNG, cut out unilever if you you know. Yeah, white label. If you can make it. Yeah. Yeah. White label stuff or go direct to the consumer on e-commerce, which, you know. Probably not a good idea from other availability episodes. Definitely But I'm curious what your thoughts about idea. that as like an opportunity size because that that's probably has to be part of the valuation because if you looked at the emerging markets, we've, we've seen, at least in Nigeria, i most familiar with, we've seen Coca-Cola be and Pepsi be haunted by this Biggie Cola, random Cola <laughs> thing. Same in Ghana as well. <laughs> so you we find these like weird drinks that are just basically stealing <laughs> the brand, stealing the bottle shape. Yeah, And people are price sensitive, so they're doing crazy amounts of volume. And you wonder if at some point these people, because they they have a chokehold on the distribution, they start to white label like detergent and lotion and and all these consumables.
0: That has way more opportunity than, that's a way larger opportunity than going to the market because they have enough market data to say shampoo X is selling the most. So they're going to be very, very targeted and they say, okay, shampoo X is created by this factory in China. So they have enough data to do it in a very, very tactical way, which is, by the way, what Amazon does. I'm not making yeah. it up. Search the internet. And then, number two, the amount of money they can make there can scale way faster than BDC. 2 BDC is because we don't yeah. have money, right? The revenue will go up like this, like this, like this, versus that can go up this way because they're buying it in bulk. So, some potential there. It's, I just don't know. It, ah, go,
1: go for it. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go oh, ahead. Finish. I was going to
0: say, I just don't know how. Are they? Do they see that as the main opportunity or do they see market geo-expansion as the main opportunity? Because, you know, it's like growth, you're going to get more money either way, but which is easier for us yeah. to do this or that? So I don't know. It depends.
1: What is exciting to me is that they're both really good options. Like I feel like either of them would be like a really credible option. Yes, brand building, building a brand is expensive, all of that, but they don't have to. They have enough margin in the channel to provide a ton of incentives because once they can capture because let's say we said 40%, 40% margin let's be conservative say 40% channel margin there's a manufacturer's margin that PNG keeps and so gives to the of, of course right?
0: Do you think they're, they're doing it for free <laughs> yeah so let's say PNG's
1: production margin is let's call it 40% conservatively it's way higher definitely 80-90% it's just palm oil and, and, and flavor and color and that's what makes up
0: Palm oil and color. I don't know what product that is, but that doesn't sound a type of thing.
1: It's soap. It's soap. Look it up. It's soap, uh, soap from Palm Oil. Soap. You're so funny. Look it up. Look it up. Seriously. It's it's, it's cosmetics. Oh, it's all palm oil. Look it up. But if you get a lot of that manufacturing margin, you're just talking about 70, 80% yes. that Basoko has to play with. That is money. Yeah, but it's that is money. It's just you think a retailer? In
0: because in some sectors, people actually have more brand affinity. You have to do it in the sectors that sell well, have high more, brand, more and people have more.
1: Brand than price at this customer segment that these retailers are selling to? More than price? So I'm saying that Wasopo can hit a much lower price
0: point. Beauty products, even more than price. Other places, maybe not so much. Like the Coke stuff, does anyone even care? Whatever, just give me.
1: Yeah, more than price. I, I feel like there's a lot of price that they have to play with that gets me even excited from like a b- student of business. Like you go, why why stop? at you know, Buy some palm oil plantations, man. That's <laughs> what I would do. Don't even, I, I, don't even do... They vertically integrated, like buy some land, like Twigger, buy some land, farm <laughs> Yo, some God. palm okay, oil. I was just going
0: to say the same Twigger thing. The fact that all they need to do is find the manufacturers in China makes this to me easier and faster to do than the commercial farming Twigga idea. It's the same. They're both trying to do the same thing. There's a value chain. They're going up the value chain to extract more value. But this is easier, quote unquote easier. Nothing is easy, but easier to do than do commercial farming, which is hard.
1: Yeah. Okay, I'll wrap up. So product is mainly dry goods. Customers mm-hmm. use an app to order. They can also use SMS or WhatsApp. These guys make a margin based on what they buy and what they sell for. They try to go upstream as much as possible. Yep. They are end-to-end super asset heavy, which depending on on what part of the cycle you're in, you want to be able to, in, in retrospect, if you think about it, is that they became super asset heavy in the low cost of capital version of the cycle. Building an asset heavy business now is near impossible given the cost of capital. So they're able to, they definitely raised capital at a time when capital was cheap. And they're now sitting on a point where competitors are basically hamstrung, which is a core part of my booth. This is like, competitors, like if I want to build the same thing that these guys have in in Kenya right now, I will need my own warehouse to assure the same quality of service at 8%, whatever, six, five, six 6% federal US rates that drive everything else in the market. Yeah. Good luck.
0: Yeah. But that's only for new competitors. If you're a Twiga already has it. So for existing competitors, they also raise at the same time. So it's like the market is yeah. status quo. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Will trigger do dry foods, great goods. <laughs> Fascinating. Let's the do- Innovation before distribution.
0: Yes. Let's do competition and exit. Before I do that, do I have anything from the product piece? Uh, okay. A few minor pieces from their product strategy is they started to do some B2B B2 to C promotions. Where then, specific members within the community would get coupons to shop at Soko Watch retailers. So doesn't mean they're doing B2C. It's indirectly nudging customers to go to their own customers who are SMB retailers. People that
1: people that are preparing for private label. Exactly, don't know exactly. Building their brand for private label. Was Wasoko Wasoko Soup.
0: And then Okay. You heard it, it you heard it
1: here first, guys.
0: They enabled Soko Watch retailers sell airtime digitally mm-hmm. to their own consumers, and then they did a financing for, for smartphones for the retailer. Better to use the Android app. They finance you, the the phone, and then they take that out of your, your revenue later. All right, so let's do competition exits. Well, competition, we already alluded to this. Biggest competitor, obviously, Twigga. Listen to episode 64. Twigga is a B2B platform mm-hmm. that connects farmers to SMB retailers, the same people. Twigga used to mostly focus on being in the middle, but now that Twigga is trying to Offer more services to SMB retailers. They're looking more and more like like our friends here at Wasoko. Not exactly the same because they offer different products, but Twigas say they're going to focus more on FMCG, and FMCG is exactly what these guys do. Also, Twigas raised, they raised a lot of money, great leadership team, big competitors. Second competitor is Market Force. So, Market Force, also Kenyan, also, man, everyone just does the same shit. Also, don't B2B. I, I, even me,
1: company. I might quit my job and open a corner shop in Kenya at this rate <laughs> because it's clearly. There's clearly I feel I feel served as a customer. You know the way you want to use an app for yeah. let me the only customer group I can yeah. think of that is overserved like that is maybe savings app in, apps in the US, where it's like financial <laughs> management, personal <laughs> finance apps in the US. They're like 15 every day with different philosophies. Yeah. Where it's like yeah, uh, the, you know, your money should work for you, or you should work for your money, or your money should be zero-based budgeting, or, there's like 15 different versions. Everything's automated AI and stuff. And the only people that are just as served mm-hmm. are Kenyan B2B retailers. It's not. Yeah,
0: no, I, I love it so much. Competition, which means more SMB retailers get more services. So, Market Force B two B e commerce platform, also FMCG, also mom and pops, also informal. Now, let's talk about the differences. Market Force is a little bit different because they are currently asset lights, and they've been asset yeah. light for the past three years. So, their strategy is to have relationships with different transportations like logistics companies and those guys will handle the end-to-end sorry the last mile delivery so a little bit different also obviously market force is way smaller because they only launched three years ago and they have a lower valuation market force was in yc. Uh, third competitor trade depot now trade depot is in Nigeria right so not not really mm-hmm. <laughs> not really direct competitor but because you're in the biggest market and because they do the same thing, I just put them as sort of indirect competitor. Also in Nigeria, there's Omnibiz, Alurzu. There's just a bunch. But because they're in different markets, I'd say there's smaller competitors compared to Market Force and Twiga.
1: Where What do you think about the, what is your opinion on the asset light versus asset heavy model of going after this customer segment? Because they have, they have yes. competitors that are doing the complete opposite in like, a, they're having the same problem in a complete opposite way. How do you think? Which one wins or does nobody win or does it not matter?
0: Man, it's it's such a complicated question. So if you look at when, if you look at when Wasoko came into this, you can say the distribution and delivery mechanisms and <laughs> players weren't developed enough. So of course they had to do it themselves, right? Because if you're dependent on third parties that don't meet the quality bar, then you're also mm-hmm. screwed. But because uh, we haven't yet done an episode on Sendy, I don't know if we're going to do Sendy. But there are different distribution players that just do that. So when market force was launched three years ago, maybe it made more sense for them to do a different strategy because the transportation layer was now more fleshed out. You can trust that. So both parties can see their quote unquote rights. But I think longer term, depending on how they're able to manage the operational and logistical costs, it may actually be better to have assets. But that's only if you can manage it appropriately. If you can't, then everything yeah. blows up. The difficulty with managing it is like you have to like demand forecasting. It's man because it, I've worked on this stuff in the past. It's so difficult. You think, oh, we have seasonal data for how people order stuff. No, things change on the fly, and those costs are hard to unwind when you've already purchased it. So I would say better, but with massive question mark about do they have the right skills and people to actually do demand inventory predictions? It's a
1: it's a tough technical problem. The challenge with it's a technical problem, but it feels solvable. There's a lot of precedent in solving that problem. Yes, yes, stuff like that. Amazon is yes, a yes. precedent in that problem. Yes, when the the asset light problem is a different nature. In that everybody in that channel wants to eat and eat more and grow. So you will get squeezed on margin for others. So like you don't want one supplier. If there's one one million logistics, you're screwed. It's like a wholesale transfer pricing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you really do have to be thoughtful. It depends on on the on the asset light side, it really depends on how the supplier. Uh, the the two ends of the market, the suppliers and the buyers, whatever service they're selling, suppliers and their partners, if you will, shape out as far as like density and competitive nature of those markets. Yes. If those markets ends up winner winner take all, they will be squeezed. Yes, uh, and, and don't forget, the Asset
0: Co- Light, they have two things yeah. to do. They have warehousing and they have like di- transportation. So it's, it's you have two different sets of partners to work with. Someone to store all the stuff. someone yeah. To transport it now, there's some goods that don't need to be stored that long, but it's not. It's actually very, very complicated to have two different sets of partners. It may not be the same company it's, that does transportation, yeah. that does warehousing.
1: Just be, Yeah, just build your own, like, you know, so it's, it's not clear, it's not clear. It's like build yeah. your own, don't build your own, but when you, you get the money, like, yeah. so good luck.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Unless and and, and it, it's also, the, the reason why it's such a, I wish we had like all these perfect textbook answers, but everything's so complicated. The reason why it's complicated is even if you and I said, okay, based on 2023 today, it's better to do asset heavy because a bunch of partners you can do well for warehousing and for yeah. transportation. What if the investors don't buy? Then you're still screwed, right? Because it doesn't matter what you want. Because you need so much money to buy the warehouses, right? You think it's the right strategy. What if no one wants to give you the money? It's 2023, right? And no one has the money. So sometimes it's like what you want to do and what you're able to do are very different.
1: Good luck to all involved.
0: (laughs) Okay, Um, so I spoke about... Okay, so we're currently on the competition section. I went through a whole category of players. Let's just call them other tech companies. That's that category of competitors. Now, there's another category. Obviously, traditional wholesalers, traditional tri- distributors, all the former middlemen, in, actual, in actuality, those are their actual competitors, right? Because they've been in the market for so long. But because it's a tech podcast, I spent so much time going through all those specifics. But don't lose sight of the fact that the status quo, all the middlemen players are actually – they have way more market share than market force. They have more market share than Twitter because they've been in the ecosystem for decades. I would also say that the CEO said something very smart. He said, oh – if all these middlemen, the distributors, whatever, they've been in this place for decades and they're profitable, why can't we, yeah. who now have, we have a tech platform, we have scale, right? Why can't we even be more profitable by cutting them out and take their margin? So Bankly, that sort of eludes to what you were saying. If you do some yeah. quick rough math, yeah. like everyone was like, it wasn't like, they weren't raising money from Tiger Global losing billions of dollars. Like there were actual profitable businesses running for decades, implying there's some sustainable yeah. future, especially if you turbocharge it with tech. now. We're doing hand wavy stuff. It sort of makes sense, but that's the ultimate goal. Cut out the middlemen who were profitable so you can be profitable as well at scale. All right. Acquisition favorite part. All right. We're going to go in one, two, three, five different categories. These are the, now, obviously I'm focused on acquisition. Banquale is the IPO guy, but I don't, yeah. know. we'll talk about IPO at the end. Acquisition, first category, B2B e-commerce international players that could buy them. Obviously Udan CEO, sorry, co-founders on the board. Wink Wink, maybe something can happen there. Yeah. Second category, I put this one as unlikely. I already crossed it out. B2C e-commerce players. Well, it's unlikely because... Jumia. Yeah, but these guys are more valuable than Jumia. And they have more money than Jumia. So probably not. Congo already went bust. Tick-A-Lot is not willing to leave South Africa. So unlikely category. Now, a category which is similar but different is offline retailers and supermarket chains. So we have the African ones. We have the international ones. International, Tesco, Carrefour. African ones, ShopRite. I think it's very unlikely because it's like it's not the same business. These guys' mm. business is like selling to end consumers. Mm-hmm. But Wasuku's business is selling to shops. And then also like Wasuku is so expensive that even if they were to buy it now, 30, 40%, 2X on it, do they have a billion dollars? I, I don't I don't think it's likely. So that category is also
1: up. Yeah. Do you think about, so that, that makes sense. Do you think about like the FM, FMCG companies themselves? That's the
0: next category. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Right. So we have uh, Unilever, Procter & Gamble, Nestle, Coca-Cola. They have a lot of money. They've already been working with them. Maybe, maybe, uh, because of the Coke relationship with Twig, I would say that's higher likelihood. These guys, I did some quick research on Thursday. Their acquisitions in Africa, almost non-existent. You had the MultiPro one. MultiPro was sort of like not at the same scale as these. So maybe, maybe not. So I I would say probably not.
1: Yeah, they probably don't do a lot of acquisitions versus just capital investments. Exactly. Um, so you see, like, they would put some money because they want to su- they want to control their supply chain, control access to their supply chain. Because what you don't want, what PNG and Unilever is too smart to allow, is companies like this get too big and take up too much of the market. So they will try to the, the fact that the fact that they can have multiple channels is better for the big ones. So I'm sure they're paying attention. The fact that I don't I don't see any of them on the cap table at least. Tells me that they they think they're you not know, convinced that it's a winner-take all market. So maybe that's that's probably one way to look at it.
0: Right. They, they want to just wait and like a, a Series B company still has a long way to go through, So they're probably just watching. But I'd say that's one of the highest ones. The last category is logistics and supply chain companies. DHL, UPS, probably unlikely. Yeah. The, the most likely seems to be B2B e-commerce, because the Udan dude is on the board. And then the second most likely looks like the FMCG distributors. But it's just a lot of money, man. Yeah. How you, you're a publicly traded company, yeah. you tell them you spent a billion yeah. dollars on a Series B company with a guy that speaks six languages as a CEO. <laughs> Your stock may crash doesn't by even. 5%. You wouldn't the even get companies
1: doesn't, doesn't even fly because logistics is, the DHL and the UPS, they do a lot of user to central. These guys do Pub- central to user. Yeah, yeah they do. Yeah, 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 They do hub and spoke. They right, do right. two way hub and spoke. Two <laughs> the hub and away from the hub. Right. These guys do one way away from the hub because they only have a few people on the other end of the hub, right? So I'm not even convinced that. I mean, people have burnt more capital, like squared <laughs> it by after 29 million dollars. <laughs> Yo,
0: um.
1: quick, quick, quick! But boost. in retrospect, though, what do you think about the IPO? We didn't talk about that for a second. What do you think about Ooh, them like just taking this to them, taking this I, I to forgot the, to the to the public markets?
0: I just think. They have so many more things to prove before IPO. (laughs) They need at least, they need between two, between three and six years. First of all, they need to show they can be in other markets because yes, they're not just in Kenya, but the Eastern African markets are so similar. Some could argue is the same quote unquote market. Quote of arsenical doesn't count because they just started last year. And then number two, they just need to prove that like it's actually profitable to do at scale. Now, I I, I, I don't really, I don't have the data, but I bet you that 30 million net is actually like a massive loss. Now, of course, they're startup, they should be losing money, but you'd expect a little bit more international expansion, clear paths of profitability to go public. So okay. they have a while. Well, I don't think it's going to happen in the near term. I'd be very surprised if in the next two years they went public. It's much more likely someone would buy them. Now, my view would change if they raise a Series C at one point something billion. At that point, forget about acquisition. Now, super rich companies can buy them. As soon as it gets to unicorn, forget it, but no one is buying it. I've told no. you they,
1: they've passed they've passed the DPO <laughs> already, price. That already. DPO price is our limit for Africa Tech no until now. proven otherwise. It's two eighty eight no million. Now. Nothing goes w- wave than that.
0: wave did five hundred now. Why are you so wicked? I know wave is sorry, okay. send wave. I keep on mixing. Send Sendwave Sendwave, founder, wave. but I know send wave the founder <laughs> founders of <from> Silicon Valley. <laughs> They're, quote, They're unquote, in Boston Africa now. Company. <laughs> I know <They're> ex- <laughs> so, so I guess all, now. technically they count now.
1: Yeah, I guess technically they do count. They yeah, do count. Oh, yeah, right, right. But, but I, I okay, the outlier, the exception approves the rule. <laughs> Moving on. But I do I do like the 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 point. I, I will say the uncertainty that I need to, from an IPO perspective, feels like this future of the company path, like, are we going to try to go white label? Are we going to try to go to other yes. companies? They need yes. some stability in their business model, and then they can optimize in the public markets, which I feel good about. But, because but, but but if market. you're the
0: CEO, if I were him, I would try to sell to Dan and try to go public. Because that's just a clear path. They understand they're in another developing market. They're on the board, so they know the company, and that can be done with way less convincing. I IP, you need to do a roadshow. Yeah. Like it's just, this it just seems faster, faster and quicker. And maybe you even get more money. But
1: CBD. maybe There's, at the end of it, <laughs> at the end of it is the money. Not. That's what I was going to point out. Maybe, maybe not. Because if it's good, if if by <laughs> the way, Daniel is a pl- <laughs> Yeah. Danielle has pledged to this pledge network of founders who commit that. to give some percent of their earnings to thing. But my point is if you're looking at a hundred million dollar difference in outcomes, individual outcomes from doing a road show or not doing a road show, you get on a plane <laughs> and they do your roadshow. I I don't know. Easy, like show is stressful. But for how much, fam? Like, yeah. <laughs> you gotta fly to New York and stay at the set, stay, stay at the Ritz Carlton <laughs> for two days and do meetings with hedge fund guys, asking questions about your business. Oh my god, I can't do that. It's too stressful. Yeah. I would take forty million dollars less to do that. Not said, no one ever. So yes, <laughs> so we'll see. Yes, we shall um, see okay. how it all goes. Very, it, it will be yeah. so
0: cool to see how things evolve for the company. 2024, 2025,
1: 2026. Some momentum, but some yeah. Cool. Let me wrap, and then you can go. So my summary: conversation one is on the founder founder story. Uh, Second, I'm meeting customers where they are. Asset heavy as a mode, and then competition. So the part of the founder story I like is pulling on a consistent thread and then seeing where it goes. There's just like a, a demonstrated desire to go after the things that are interesting personally either being in languages, either being in lang- language speaking and going to that language or seeing a problem going after it. I think many people have good ideas. People don't execute on them. People also don't like keep pulling that thread and see where it leads. And I think a lot of that pulling the language thread mm. is almost that in retrospect, it's like the interest in languages has been from a very young age. Mm. And that led to being comfortable doing this product in Egypt or in Panama or in Honduras or in Kenya eventually. I also like the the startup idea of putting that third. I I'm, I'm very attracted and I think very highly of people who are able to do the things that they're genuinely interested in. That's the ultimate ultimate uh, sophistication or the ultimate like end goal of life. Love that.
0: Oh, on, on that note, yeah. one of the famous books, Five Regrets of the Dying. Regret number three is I didn't live a life true to myself. Yeah. So that's actually like a yeah. from philosophical data that shows people's dying, wishes like, oh, my dad wanted yeah. me to do X. I did X. My son wanted me to do Y. But like, yo, those people, yeah. it's, they're, they're not going to be around when you're doing it. They'll give you advice, then they're
1: yeah. gone. <laughs> I'm gone. Yeah. yeah. And the dude went to school to study the Like languages. That's, that's wild, dude. This is University <laughs> of Chicago, my man. Yeah,
0: but his parents were like, "When well, you're going to Egypt. Of course, that's fine. This is...
1: This is the home of Milton Friedman. It's literally called the <laughs> Chicago School. Like this is where Clive Assness went to school. Like don't mess it up. Like you have two choices, economics or finance. <laughs> Anyways, but I do like that part of the story. Second part is the part of meeting customers where they are. You know, you do see a lot of people trying to replace things. This is not disruption in the, in the classical click, Christensen sense. It's more like creative destruction. Just taking a company that is suboptimal and replacing the better version of that. The supply channel thing. It's not, you know, putting in air quotes, dragging African retail into the future or like showing them a better way of doing things. It's lots like, look, I'm a service provider. This is a service you do today. You know, this is a service you need to do differently. It's, Cheaper, it's very simple. Cheaper, faster, I'm not better, to, more convenient. Yeah, it's already where you're used I'm not to. Trying to give you. I'm not trying to give you an app to accept payments. I'm not trying to give you a tap to pay. I'm not trying to do anything. I'm just trying to do what you're doing. No stress. Where is stress? Instant outcome. Clear messaging. Simple, clear messaging. You don't have to lock your shop to go and buy stores, buy stuff. Come, get to you. The very distinct from startups. The other thing that is help important about many customers of the YR is it's separate. You have to put this in the context of of the failure of big box retail outside of South Africa, mm. because if I, I, my perspective in Nigeria or Ghana, where I spent the most time, is people do like the big box stores. You know, oh, 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 no! Okay. I went to Air I was condition. in Lagos a month ago. I went to ShopRite. It was a deadly mistake. Oh my God. I probably spent, I think I wanted to buy like a case of water or something, Mm -hmm. but like it was full and crowded. And I was like, I should have just bought one from like the side of the street. I just, I was dreaming, I just pulled over and like, oh, I'm just going to go to ShopRite and buy something. I will never do that again. People do like the big box stores, but what has happened to ShopRite and game in Nigeria, this country is that operationally it's difficult to execute. So even though they are getting customers, they're dealing with incredible amounts of shoplifting, incredible amount of employee theft, and just like operation is very difficult. So versus trying to solve that problem or overcome these operational things, just meet the customers where they are, uh, and maybe you build a big business that way. As it really contrasts that to like trying to build big box or push e-commerce on Africans where it doesn't solve the problem that they have instantly. Third part of my conclusion is asset heavy as a moat. On one hand, having picked an asset heavy part to build a business, it's expensive. Of course, very expensive. It makes them less nimble as well. Makes them like less flexible. They can't just up and launch in a the country. They gotta you know find suppliers, find all that stuff. But it just makes it a no brainer. Like competition can be difficult. Correct. Depending. Apart from Twitter, when think Kenya is going to start doing this? Yeah. No one. It, it makes it harder to offer the same levels of quality, same levels Correct. of quality control. It's not impossible. You can cobble something together. There's other e-commerce companies <laughs> not named Amazon in the right. US. Right. But you know. No one Amazon's integrated nature of its ecosystem is such that it's it's harder if you use eBay you can get stuff you know, delivered by FedEx FedEx is pretty good UPS is pretty good Yeah. but having an integrated supply chain allows you to get same day delivery order now get it before 5pm all that yeah. stuff the only um, challenge they
0: have is what I said a few minutes ago if the warehousing ecosystem and the transmission ecosystem get so good you miss yeah. that wave because <laughs> I mean I, maybe we have a Sandy episode you miss that whole wave and then mm. like fully vertical integrated solutions. You can be best of class in everything. And if you have partners that are best in class, better to work with them. But when they launched, very, very fair, there were no best in class warehousing or transition companies. So it made sense. I just don't know, will it always make sense? That's the question.
1: The other upside I see here is they can keep growing bottom line by squeezing out the system on the same base. That's what is exciting to me is that they are able to scale their investors, continue to get savings and like increase revenue 10%, 15% because they found a new supplier for the motorcycles. Like or they found a new repair guy. The motorcycles not last 25% longer, then they can be depreciated about five instead of four years. Mm-hmm. Like they can just instantly unlock like crazy amount of savings from this step while doing the exact same thing without growing. So I like the two lever part of the business at this stage of their business. Most most companies have a growth, have a top line thing. They can go top line and, and, and cost um to really grow the bottom line Absolutely. very well. And that's essentially what Amazon does as a business, is they they have a program, they have the prime membership program, they have the retail program, but they're able to continually, every single day, in a way that is oblivious to customers, squeeze costs out of the system, you know, build a new house closer to customers, do same-day delivery, get a new deal with some suppliers to do something. Do, more white, costs, <laughs> do my, more white label. Do more white label. My, my shampoo
0: is only from Amazon, dude. I don't care about shampoo. Yeah. Amazon those label.
1: costs those costs just flow all the way down. Those benefits just flow all the way down to the bottom line. And I just look at the levers that, a company that does this at scale. Like from the jump, would I have said they should do this? Maybe not. I'm talking out of my intellectuals, other side of my face and be like, ah, oh, I said, hey, mean, not the right choice. But now that they have it, it's like, man, now you can start to be strong. Like you want to take aggressive cuts if you're on the logistics side of the business. You want to be like, you have a cost per unit of X. You want it to be 0.8X this year. That's just it. Otherwise I'll find somebody who can. Like you want to be, Continuing screens because of the system, because it's going to be a, a, a big part of the opportunity. And when you add the traditional growth opportunity, which we've gone through in the podcast, with which they have good options, white labeling and, and supply chain, it, it, start, it starts to look very tempting. So from competition now, so a bit more measured than the geographic last. Personal <laughs> there's there's a number of good there's a number of competition competitive companies. The asset heavy versus asset light, you know. We'll see how that pans out. To so your mm-hmm. point is, at least that's of. There's a whole Clay Christensen, Chris, Chris, Clay Christensen article. I know it's a tongue About inter, about interdependence versus modularity yes. in the right stages and how value is created on manufacturing of the ecosystem. I love that. It's a very interesting, a very interesting piece for them here. I don't know. They're great. They, I think the ecosystem is. I'll tell you my own personal opinion, but you know, I'm not a an investor or or an oracle. But I do think that they are being able to capture different parts of the ecosystem. I don't think the other parts are good enough. And, and I don't think they will be for a while. We'll see. Now, I we'll mean, I could be wrong. We'll if, if they end up being really good, really good, then it ends up being problematic for the competitors.
0: On that is, if the company is able to externalize the vertical piece as its own thing, like if they're if they can sell yeah. their warehousing as a product, that's when you know it's ready. If they say, well, no, we're not sure. If they can do their delivery service <laughs> externalize, like convert it from a call center to a revenue yeah. center, everything else that's yeah. that's the, the basically you know, then it's good enough to match the market
1: standards. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what Amazon does, that's. Right? that's that's a whole yeah. Story, yeah. Of AWS in the story of it. Fantastic. So, if we can take all of the, that that stuff, that even your yeah, competition pressures thing, market the thing, they're very open to managing that vision, open to working with other companies. They, they don't strike me as the Uber versus Didi in China, mm-hmm. throw the money towards it because I have to win and then bail out at the end. They, like, they, no one has making any money measured to measured business
0: to, to, to waste like that.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, making measured business optimal decisions. And they're also in a position of strength because they've raised a ton of money, which is why when people tell you how much they raised, better think about it. When people go public, they have a choice. Companies have a choice to tell you or not tell you. They have a choice. Dollars. They're trying to tell you that don't don't. Play. When Wave raised what they raised, they were trying to tell Orange that we are not playing here. Like that's all they that's all they raised the money for. Nobody got to raise nothing. They just they just raised the money and went back to work after the lunch break. And be like you tell Orange it's like you want you want to. I'm Tony Montana. You know, you to come me? And they're in a position of strength as well. So if you need to go take a meeting in Lagos, like we're coming, like people will pay attention because you know. You don't know the man has a big bazooka, you don't know if they're going to fire it. They they, they don't want to fire it. They never fired it before, but you got to respect it. Mm-hmm. And have raised that much money they're coming for personal strength even with competition. So I feel pretty bullish, maybe a bit too bullish honestly. It's almost Apparently like so. I'm bullish, I'm so bullish that I wonder what I what I I wonder like what I don't know. Like what is non-obvious because everything is just pointing towards this like up and to the right, but but hey, I'm not making an investment decision. I'm making a company
0: podcast. <laughs> this so. is 100% jokes and <laughs> operability. So
1: to wrap my, so wrap, wrap, wrap my conclusion, founder, founding story, great. I love the innovation story. The asset heavy as a, as a moat versus a, uh, an albatross. Time will tell whether that's what it ends up being us.
0: Yes. Interesting. Thank you for that. All right. I'll go through mine. So my summary has five different sections. So the retailer's the end consumers, the entrepreneur, CEO, Daniel, bear case and then bull case. So SMB mom, pop retailer, short, sweet, amazing. Cut out all the middlemen. You don't have to close up your shop. You could potentially get cheaper items to sell. You could potentially get more items. It's easier to use. It's faster. You can focus on what you're actually good at, which is selling what is in your store to consumers and building a relationship with them to come back to use and work with you. That's the core. So I, I really love it, especially because I don't know, I guess I just have a soft spot for people to help underdogs and people that don't have a lot of advantages in life. Like if the typical SMB retailer is an older, uneducated woman living in a rural area, it's just like, I just feel like they're finally getting services to help them. So I'm
1: like, you can't be selling to, you can't be selling to me or people like you you need to be selling to all these other people.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So I'm happy that SMB mom and pop retailers have more options and it's not just Wasuku. They can use Wasoko, they can use Twiga, they can use Market Force. It's good they have more options. I just yeah. hope they also find ways to increase their revenue faster than just loans. But that's for another podcast. Okay, second piece, this one is faster, end consumers. Hopefully, if the whole ecosystem gets more efficient, the end consumers should also get cheaper prices. Now, it depends on, the efficiency can just go to one of the players in the ecosystem mm-hmm. who don't distribute it, but I hope that that 40 to 50% of income on food stat gets chipped away by players like this. Third piece, entrepreneur Daniel. Echoing what Banquale said, just, he's been in the game since 2014, 2015. So between eight and nine years, he dropped out of school, and he's doing something that he knows it's gonna be a long journey. Like, end to end, he would probably have spent between eight and 15 years of his life at Wasoka, whenever it's all said and done. So yes, he may be rich at the end, but he didn't have to, so I'm just appreciative especially for founders that have more staying power. Like even as of today, he's already been there for eight years, right? So it's already a testament that he's already done a lot, regardless of how it turns out. And I don't know, maybe something about the fact he dropped out of school just touches my heart. So I really, big fan, hopefully things go well. Let's do bear case. So uh, my bear case is very long. So maybe I'm less positive than Barkoli. First part, it's unclear to me how the different parts, how Kenya is different, like the different cities in Kenya. So I was trying to do research, like forget about international expansion for a second, just Mm -hmm. expanding like outside of Kenya. And it was just hard to figure out like, what happens mm-hmm. to warehousing, logistics, because transportation costs are heavily, like they, they don't scale well if you go to rural areas, how are the roads, mm-hmm. its just hard to find, because I'm not an investor, right? I don't have all the data, but I've invested in companies where I was so surprised by the costs per mile difference within the same country. And it can really, it's almost not even worth going into some, into, 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 it's not even worth going into some cities because the infrastructure is so poor that you can't even serve them profitably. So let's not go too far down that direction, but I'm just I'm just curious. I don't know. It's a big question mark because if that is a problem, international expansion is always a problem, then they're just screwed. Now, maybe I'm reading too much into it. I would just love to see yeah, more data on... I
1: see the point. Go ahead, sorry. No, 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 please, please, please finish. Is the point, your point is, hmm, everybody's just assuming that... City A is like can City B. It's like Lagos. It's like port Harcourt. It's like Abuja. In a way that affects how these people Correct. operate. Correct. And then, like, it, Is there something it, that we're missing about how they operate?
0: So it means their TAM... Because, yes, we can talk about international TAM, Nigeria, but even within their own country may still be limited, which means they, it, it, yeah. it's, it's just a way worse business than it would appear if that's the case. TBD requires more data. First part of the negative case. Second part is, if you are to affordability, you always know I'm always a down on international expansion. I just don't believe it. I just... Like, I feel more optimistic about their international play than Twiga, because Twiga was literally in one country for nine years. At least they've been to other East African countries, although I would put a question mark if that's real international expansion. They're now in Côte d'Ivoire, they're now in Senegal, very different, but that's only been a year. TBD, I just always find it like, especially for a business where you don't get additional benefits because the operational intensive nature of the business. Every city and every country is so different. Like, yes, you can say, oh, we've optimized warehouse design in Nairobi, use the same warehouse design in in Dakar. But yeah, that's not the grunt of the business. The grunt of business isn't copying warehouse design. It's on the ground, people operational in each each city. So the transfer of knowledge is way lower for operational business than like product tech businesses. So question mark my international expansion. Would they do it? I don't know. Just like Twitter, they have a CEO of Kenya already. So they're they're already planning the same thing, but I don't know, I'm just, I don't have many good examples of, of successful international expansion companies
1: in Africa. It's almost like launching a new country is very similar to the rocket internet model where you find some smart people, give them budget and go, there's, no, there's not e- a lot of, exactly. other than like a deck or a playbook or exactly. a weekly stack or you have with the head office, there's not a lot of help.
0: Exactly. So I, I don't know. Yeah, Let's see how it makes goes. Sense. I, I would be more convinced if they launched in Senegal and Côte d'Ivoire four years ago, we have an updater. But the launch was a year ago and i was trying to get some information on how the launch is coming no one talks about it <laughs> so hopefully it's going well yeah. but i don't know third piece this is the most obvious piece because of the operational intensive asset heavy nature of the business how do they manage the costs and not just the upfront costs the ongoing costs so i put trucks warehouses like they yeah. all these i wouldn't read the whole thing but it's a, it's sometimes tricky to figure out okay what is actually fixed versus recurring and then the depreciation of this, when do I write it off? How frequently do I need to replace the trucks versus the bikes? This is electric. What about yeah. f- fuel costs can be insane. How do I track my fuel costs? Cause you're scaling up the, uh, like refriger- you, 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 you get the, you get it. It's actually way more difficult than yeah. just doing API connection. You're looking at like, like even cold.
1: last mile. Yes. Like it's yes. operationally intensive.
0: Correct. And And like, you almost need, you almost need to put that on one side and then the other side is the demand forecasting. So, one thing is managing the cost. The other thing is, all the costs you're going to manage are based on what demand you think is going to come down the hill. So, the other skill set yeah. of figuring out how much inventory do we need is completely divorced in cost management. They seem like they're related, but yeah. they're actually, they're two different skill sets. Someone that can help you figure out seasonality, okay, order this this month, buy this, that's not the same person who's going to take costs out of the system. So, it's, it's yeah. I, I feel like I'm overstating it, but I just want people to understand like doing API connections to Mono. And it it's, comp- it's way easier, <laughs> Com- yeah. that's like a technical challenge. This is on the ground. And because of the, the way African cities are set up, it's way harder than even in America. And America is already pretty hard. I was I was in a Amazon FC fulfillment center. I was checking, I was like, oh my God, yeah. this is like, you like you need to have a PhD to know what the hell is going on here. And that's the American version. Anyway, you, yeah. you get the point. What else on the negative bear case? Okay, that's it. Now let's talk about the bookcase. Obviously the bookcase is the opposite. Kenyan cities are not that different. They're able to scale. They already have strong brand recognition. Hard for anyone to compete with them in Kenya, apart from Twiga, because hard to raise money to do all these things. Eventually, they can increase the revenue and figure out a way to optimize the costs. They go up market to squeeze some, either more efficiencies out of the supplier or do white label. They're hopefully able to get into larger African markets. So I put uh, Nigeria question mark, South Africa question mark, Egypt question mark, Ethiopia question, there are a bunch of other markets. And then yeah. hopefully with enough scale and profitability, they're bought out by F M Z G G manufacturer, supplier, or UDAN, or they try to write it out to be public. So overall, where do I net out? I net out 70% on the positive bull case, 30% on the negative. Even though I sounded more negative, I still feel that they have enough experience and they have enough relationships and they have enough money where I'm still 70-ish. I just feel I would be higher if I could see more, if I had more transparency on the cost straight off. The last mile changes mm-hmm. and how that differs from city to, to city. But yeah, overall, I was in the best of luck. They're in a good position, $125 million a lot, but it's man, it, it, even if Banco and I had a spreadsheet yeah. of all their costs, yeah. you would need hours. To separate it because yeah. FMCG itself, all the costs they depend on which products. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's like a whole man. These things you do a podcast, you think it's easy. It's, it's difficult. Yeah. So fingers crossed. You for know
1: that. how I think about the, you know how I think about this. I think about the quality of their options, mm. and I like the quality of their options. Mm-hmm. You look at I don't know, contrasted to Yoko, and like Yoko, oh. you, we were optimistic for them. Yoko did not have. This high quality, they had good options, but they yes. didn't have this high quality options, and they all involve tough trade offs, whichever right. way they see the business going forward. Right. These guys seem to have a lot of really high quality options that are, could potentially be high leverage. Yes, they're the in like the better It's almost like they do group, have, for sure. for and sure. they've raised a bunch of capital so they can yes. try a lot of things. So that ends up, that, that's what's driving optimism. It's not so much that one thing works or one thing doesn't work, it's that they have a number of good options, and they are, uh, you know, how startups have this cascading. At the early stage, cascading series of infinitesimal probabilities its just like a small probability multiplied by a small probability. Yes. Small probability. In fact, they have a, a bunch of slightly higher probability events than a typical early stage setup will have. And that gives yes. you optimistic because you can like, if they're able to, you know, what's the probability of that? And if they're able to, the those are, they're not actually that low if you think about it. Like, yes. Like, know, if, if, Facebook, if, we... if Facebook in in fall, sorry, was able to capture, you know, global market, like, well, that was a 0.1% chance. <laughs> but like, I think they have a better chance than, yes. than that using that example.
0: Agreed. If you compare them to Yoko, the problem is like Yoko is so focused on hardware, and the future is online. And Yoko has only ever been in one country, but the future is those other countries because I think has so much competition; they're better shaped. If, if you compare them to Apollo, better shaped than Apollo because they've raised more money and their business model seems more sustainable. Compare them to Twiga. Yeah, you could argue it either way. I argue they're in a better position than Twigga because commercial farming is way riskier than their options, and they've raised more money. So. It, Compare them to, yeah. they're better present than Apollo, Twigger, Yoko, and what other Agritech tech? I feel like I'm forgetting an Agritech company. Anyway, the, I would say they're in the best position of SMBOS slash Agritech companies, yeah. but I still put a question mark because of the the stuff I said before.
1: I just so like $25 million. It's
0: just a lot. It's just a lot to play with.
1: Yeah. On that note, somebody send the deck. Cool. Uh, now, <laughs> All
0: right. We're now,
1: we're, we're, we're wrap it? recommendations are small wins. That's right. Recommendations small wins. I can go. Yes, please. So I have two recommendations. One is a book called Artificial Artificial Intelligence, A Guide for Thinking Humans by Melanie Mitchell, PhD. She's a PhD researcher in computer science. But it's actually a few years old now, but it's a first principles introduction to artificial intelligence, machine learning, what it means, what methods people use. Not so much even built on the Gen AI craze of the last it's it 8, 8, eight to twelve months, but a bit yeah. more fundamental about the space and I really liked it. I really like reading it. Like I, I work in this space and I, I found that I learned something new from the book. It was pretty Oh, I love that. It was a very well like from nothing to like complex topics. Like, you don't okay. see many books that go that path and it was a great path for something as complicated as this. I would love to read that. Second recommend second recommendation is Would You Sell Your Kid Your Extra Kidney by Dylan Walsh. It's a at first blush, controversial, and you read it again, and you read it again, and you read it again. Argument for creating a market in kidneys, of or course. body organs. I'm all, um, all down for that. I'm already and it know. was if very interesting. Like from it. The context of this is, there's a Nigerian senator jailed for nine years for being involved in such a scheme in London. Oh. only, only um, nine years. They killed someone to get their kidney. The, the 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 person is not dead. Being oh, involved oh, in a scheme to do so. I have oh, to be very careful. Oh, the, it.
0: oh they paid. The, it was a it was like a commercial agreement. Both parties they paid them. That
1: yeah, was that was the that was the, the alleged that the the okay. it was alleged that the senator brought somebody to the United Kingdom on a <laughs> visa, not telling them what it was, and it was donation. It was not donation. Anyways, somebody's doing donation. That's so funny, man. That's funny. And the question is why? Why wasn't one interesting question come out of that? Like why can't you'll be super low income in rural Nigeria, in this case, and be able to sell your kidney in a way that changes your life. Of course. Given that you can live with one kidney and healthcare. There's a couple of good ideas there about how you would do something like that, but it was an interesting argument.
0: Yeah, yeah. You already know, based on that, I'm all up for it. I would love stuff like that. Why not sell that shit, get your money, all done. Interesting argument. I'm much more on the liberal part of the ecosystem. So I guess on on, on that topic, I could sort of understand. So if you play devil's advocate, One person would say, as soon as you make the market for, okay, no, actually, let me put my my side of it. My my side of it is, it's probably already happening, black market, illegal behind the scenes. Since it's already happening, we might as well legalize it, bring it to the forefront, government can tax it, there's less shit. But the other person could argue, oh, if you bring it to the front, then what what, what, what does that really mean? It means you're selling part of yourself for, for money, and it would mean that people that have more income could literally take parts of your humanity away so there's a whole philosophical piece but obviously i'm just yeah. being devil's advocate i don't i don't buy that you can survive okay with a kidney so
1: there's also the perspective of like hey you can set up a structure that allows there to be time for you do that allows it to not give it to somebody but goes in central repository so you mm-hmm. don't like you know, Bill Gates, you don't, Bill Gates doesn't to choose a kidney. He just gets the next available from protocol to do a kidney stuff. kidney if he's rich?
0: That's life now, he's yeah, rich. He chose a no, lot of no, no. I chose a Toyota. It, it,
1: That's just, just that. You can, <laughs> or, or you can set it up in such a way that people have lifetime healthcare. Fair. For that, like included in the thing because you do need a lot more healthcare yeah. going forward even if you can live in one kidney. Yes. There's stuff like that and it's like, phew, interesting, but also a personal story of imagine caring about somebody so much you want to do something for them and you can't because people want to sell you the kidney, but they can't. Hmm. And it almost ends up being like, I hmm. don't know, man, it ends up being weird. But yeah. it's, I, I'm not, I, I wasn't convinced one way or another, but it did make me less. It, it, did make, it did make one of those questions as to why not. And this article puts it out. So that's my recommendations.
0: I can't wait. And you said it's it's just a blog post, right? The first one is a book. It's an, is a blog post. it's an article. It's an article. Yeah. All right. I have two recommendations. One is the Slight Edge book. So I'm surprised I've never recommended this book. So I basically reread it. It's basically, if you've read Atomic Habits by James Clare, a lot, everyone loved Atomic Habits, but because I'd already read this book three years before, for me, it was just like Atomic Habits. Atomic Habits was yeah. just this book, but three years later. So it's, it's about- It's Jeff mental, something, right? Exactly, Jeff Olson. Oh my God, wait, have I recommended yeah. it before? Oh my God. So no, I, I know the book. Oh, I know, you know the book. The book. Okay, I know, yes. the, book, so I know, I know the book, yeah. It's brilliant. It's like, it's t- the whole goal of the book is helping you create a mental framework to develop habits. Then you've developed the right habits. You yeah. get what you want in life, cause repeated daily actions, Help inch you slightly forward towards wherever you want to like. Really good, especially because it's done in a very, like, I appreciate people that can make things complicated simple. Yeah. And simple in such a way that it's easier for you to build up the simple concepts if you have the foundation versus already starting complicated. Great book. I'll add it. Also, there's like, if you like audiobooks, there's audiobook. If you like Kindle, there's an ebook. If you, they're all, every, all the formats are out. Last piece is I started using temu.com. God, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. So PDD, Pendodo they're trying to get bigger in America. So they have Timu, mm-hmm. the website. So obviously I primarily use Amazon. I use eBay once in a while. So I was trying it down and I was actually pleasantly surprised. It has a lot of gamification features that I hadn't associated with e-commerce. So for example, the first time I went on the site, there was like a roulette wheel. And the roulette wheel, immediately I went on the site, literally said, oh, you won won $100. Yeah. Now obviously I'm like, yeah, scam. But they're like, oh, okay, the $100 is you get off your next 10 orders if you sign up and give us your mobile number. Like, oh, that's so smart. Like, yeah Like the person has to use it 10 times and it only applies to some things But it's just like the gamification. I tried to order something and then it said if you add another item within the next 10 minutes you get 10, it's just like I'm not gonna be go, just like really smart yeah really smart things to just nudge you give them a little bit more information a little nudge to install the app a little bit of nudge to buy extra like so smart it reminds me of i forget the name of this company that shut down now but from the diapers.com guy anyway walmart bought this jet company. jet.com, yes, jet.com. Jet. yeah so i tested jet like three years yeah. ago i'm like Man, so cool jet.com had this feature no one has coffee it would be like oh you're buying what you're buying is going to ship from this fulfillment center So if you buy this other item, which is all the fulfillment center, shipping is cheaper because of course it's cheaper, but no one ever told me the FC in Miami versus the FC. I'm like, that's so smart. So of course, like if, if I don't have a preference between two different types of shampoo. I'll just buy the one in the f- fulfillment center that's closer and get a discount because now I have that information. So it's like Jet.com which I said they went out of business. Yeah. I, was, I, I misspoke. Walmart bought them. Um, yeah. So these are my have been,
1: People have been talking about those gamification things in, in, in US for a long time. Basically mm-hmm. even what Alipay has been able to do with gamifying like even transfers and, and yes. WeChat especially. WeChat yes. is the one. Yes. And it hasn't really picked up. I I mean, Temu is really leaning into it. I, they have picked up. They 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 had like four Super Bowl ads and they're one of the biggest advertisers. They're like, they're, they're they basically spent a lot of money. Jeez. So they had several, maybe not four, four example, yeah. but they had but they had multiple Super Bowl yes. spots. Most people have one, they had multiple. Yes. And they had multiple ads in Super Bowl. So they're really going after and spending a lot of money on customer acquisition. So, but I, I will say the gamification part of e-commerce it hasn't really been proven in this market. And I'm sure Timo will say nobody has really tried. Nobody with that, has, much, like, money. Put their with that much money. Nobody back into it. Much, with that much money, right? Like Kindle. So now Kindle, i have a small fortune on kindle right now because kindle <laughs> amazon kindle has a program points. where you buy a book they give you points back and then they give you rewards back yes, so yeah. like i send the points back for dollars and then you <laughs> yeah. order something they give you dollars to spend on kindle so basically my kindle habit is funded by my amazon habit and i and i it, it affects my buying my purchase decision a lot of the time now right so maybe that's part of it maybe that's one of the ways it creeps in but these guys turbocharge charge that stuff they like I went to the website as we we're talking and I'm like, bro, I, I got $100 at on the roulette wheel as well.
0: Oh, you, you, did, I, yeah, no, I mean,
1: all this, like, hundred I wish we had like yeah. two more hours.
0: All the, and they're so smart. So for example, I ordered something and then it sent me an email that, oh, did you know that when you order it, the most likely thing you're going to order next is this. And here's a discount. So it's like combined the most likely thing out of yeah. me because I a discount. Like, I mean, I didn't buy it obviously, but it was just smart that it combined two related thoughts of what most people buy after and a discount in the same nudge. And also, there's smart not right. to get you to install, they give you more positive not just to install the app, because they know obviously notifications, yeah. but uh, anyway, yeah. and, and then I'll, I'll end like with it. the same thing is, it's not just the gamification, the prices are really, really cheap, because they, they ship things directly from China. So obviously, yeah. if you buy on Amazon, things are shipped from China as well. But this is much more a higher proportion of the items are cheaper because a higher proportion of the items are shipped from China. If you, if you get, get what I mean, yeah, so it just seems relatively cheap, yeah, yeah. So you that was my
1: You know, the USPS thing, you know, a lot of that stuff is being funded by a USPS discount, it's kind of out because USPS, <laughs> yeah. well, USPS, yeah. <laughs> USPS, USPS still doesn't charge more, yeah. USPS still doesn't charge more. So even like I was, I I sent a lot of postcards and I was in London and I and I had sent them to have postcards, they charged me two pounds for the stamp. I was like, oh <laughs> my two pounds, like that's. That's, that's just crazy. one of $1.50 of Joe Biden's dollars. That's like, that's 25% less of Joe Biden's dollars. But yeah, USPS <laughs> is way cheaper than it should be. And that's why they're going bankrupt. Everybody's going to send them to increased prices, but it can't because so many people depend on them and it's politically suicide. Yes. But USPS is, is a gift. I, I am completely like, I'm a USPS fan. I buy USPS merch. I have a USPS <laughs> toy car on my table. Like, <laughs> You're uh, joking, right? And it's, it, I'm not joking. Wow, i sure okay. my USPS toy car. Wow. My, can you see my USPS oh, wow, toy car? Oh, wow. Yeah. I have a, okay. yeah. I'll post a picture, a link to this in the show notes. Yes, like, I'm a big USPS fanboy um, because it's such a it's such a it's such a modern modern marvel that is easy to take for granted. Uh, the history of it, how it's gotten this big, and what it enables, like the start of Amazon now Temu to ship from China. It would not work if USPS was priced fairly. It's actually funny.
0: I feel like I should because I read about the history of FedEx, obviously. By the way, great entrepreneurial story. He almost went bankrupt yeah. a bunch of times. And I read about the history of UPS, but I've never read about the history of USPS. God, I should watch it's something about that. It's
1: crazy. And even machine learning and convolutional neural networks, USPS is part of that because of the identification on the, of the letters on the alphabet. And the yes, first yes. data set was linked to USPS. And that's how I like what's made that's how Jan LeCun used ImageNet to develop convolutional neural networks. It's, Shout out to Yan It's just such a, it's just such a, just such a institution, technically, operationally, and fundamentally to like this country it's amazing. Anyways, wow! If okay. you can't tell how much of a fanboy I am, I think that just came through. I'm, I know, I'm, I'm Don't convinced. talk bad about USPS now. <laughs> USPS
0: you can talk bad about Wasoko, but not USPS. But All right. USPS, USPS, uh, you want to fight? Small wins. I'll I'll close it. So I yeah. I organized a house party like a week and a half ago with friends. It was good to have everyone yes. over and for some reason they brought a lot more friends so the apartment was just crammed um but it was good 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 hanging out and seeing everyone and like hearing different stories that was my small yeah part.
1: that's a good one i i have like a fitness thing my wood band with a bunch of friends i have been consistently basically these guys work out a lot like one of them does two of them do crossfit i don't do crossfit i just try to run and and work out every now and then, but I I, I won my fitness league last week. Uh, oh. It's just three of us, but it's very competitive. What it's does very it take competitive. They like...
0: have more points or something in a week or in a month or. A...
1: So you can win based on how much you sleep or how much you work out. Basically, recovery. Oh, the score. Or... Yeah, who
0: has that recovery the score? score. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, recovery or strain and stuff. So I definitely won in all three categories. <laughs> and and
0: as a gift you like, got the car. <laughs> as
1: a car. No, as a gift, I have bragging rights. As a gift, I have bragging rights. As a gift, I make them feel like their position in life where I am better than them, and I remind them that I am a better person than they are because I, I I had more strain and things. So it helps to work out. It helps to run. But I think that the fitness, finding a way to gamify fitness in a way, is very interesting, and also allows you to keep in touch with people that you wouldn't normally keep in touch with. Yes, it's a combo because then you can be like, man, dude, you haven't worked out in like three weeks. What's happening, man? Like all note. right all you right cool it? no no, no it's okay, end. Yeah, let's end yeah
0: wrap it so cool yeah. thanks for listening we'd love to hear from you if you have any feedback topics you'd like to hear or just want to say hello please email info at afrobility.com thanks